You may be busy doing something while you listen to this podcast, but you're never too busy to eat healthy if you eat Vite Ramen. This podcast is sponsored by Vite Ramen. Show support for a sponsor that supports Moore's Law is Dead at the link in the description. And if you do, make sure you use offer code BROKENSILICON. And you can also support Moore's Law is Dead if you need Windows keys or software at cdkeyoffer.com. If you go there, also use the code BROKENSILICON for 25% off Windows keys or die shrink for 3 percent off everything else on the website all right now let's get on with the show Welcome to Broken Silicon, a gaming hardware podcast. I am your host, Tom, and today I'm joined by a guest that, for most of my fans, probably needs very little introduction, but I'll let you do it. Steve from Harbor Unboxed. I mostly benchmark GPUs and CPUs, and what else is there to say? Yeah, I mean, it's funny. When I was putting the notes together for this, I assumed you had been on, like, 10 months ago or something, but I looked and it was, it was a year and a half ago. And actually it seems like Tim weaseled his way into being on twice in the first half of last year. So I don't know. I, yeah. I don't know how he does it. It's long overdue then. And mm-hmm. I'm really glad to have you on. I mean, uh, let's just jump right into a reader mail then. So PC dog writes in and says, Hey, Tom and Steve, what are your favorite topics to make videos on for your respective channels, uh, reviews, leaks, what have you? Mm-hmm. Do you want to go first or do you want me to go first? I'll let you go first. Okay. My favorite. It's tough because there's obviously product reviews that I absolutely love doing. They're really exciting products. And that, that I guess an exciting product is probably my favorite kind of content to produce because it's exciting for me. I know it's going to be exciting for the audience. So that makes it even more exciting. Uh, that aside, generally like big head-to-head either CPU or GPU content. I, I really enjoy making that. But, you know, there's there's so much content we really enjoy, like investigations, looking into problems, discovering new things. So it's hard to really put a finger on the best thing. But I, I, I'd say a review of an exciting product is probably the thing that gets me the most excited. Well, and I would say it it has to depend on the year, right? Because if if I remember correctly, like the last time you were on, we were kind of going into the shortages or like maybe maybe like half a year into it. It wasn't really at the peak yet. And I remember, I think I saw in a live stream with you and Tim or something that you said we're doing more analysis, conversational content because, well, it seems like half of the gaming community has you know, uh, disappeared (laughs) during the shortages and the reviews were all boring the heck out of you. And so as long as the market seemed to suck, you were just, just rather have a conversation with Tim. Yeah, that's right. And again, that's why it comes back to the products need to be exciting to the viewers for it to be exciting to me. And yeah, as you point out during the cryptocurrency boom, when no one was excited about buying GPUs because while you couldn't, or if you could, they were alarmingly expensive. There wasn't, much incentive there, much excitement around them. So just didn't put in the the time it takes to do big 30 plus game comparisons. Yeah. And you know, it's funny looking over the subjects of the last time you were on, 
I always like doing this, especially if a guest hasn't been on for a couple of years. Um, we were talking about how important it was that Alder Lake is finally competitive after coming off of Comet Lake and Rocket Lake. Right. And we talked extensively about how many comments we had gotten that Intel still sucks and everyone should just buy Zen 3, which I thought was really interesting, especially because a lot of people's biggest complaints for Alder Lake were how expensive their motherboards were. And it seems like that is a conversation that happens at every single product launch. Uh, we also talked about Lovelace power consumption expectations and the max price people would pay for a GPU. But I'm curious of all those things I mentioned, I think those were the biggest things we discussed, like Alder Lake, motherboard costs, Lovelace power consumption, and GPU pricing. Which of those looks the most, in? like what jumps out to you the most, whether it's quaint, feels out of date or like you look at that and you go, Oh, that really changed a lot since then. I'm curious, like any, like, like of all those things I mentioned, like what jumps out to you the most is funny or something. Uh, I'm not sure what jumps out to me the most, like with Ada Lovelace, obviously there was rumors of all kinds of different uh, power there. And we did not expect at the end of the day, what sort of turned out to be like a 3090 Ti. It seems pretty mm -hmm. clear that, NVIDIA were planning for something more and ended up reining it in a lot to be uh, much more manageable, let's say. So, yeah, that was kind of a big hoo-ha about nothing, but it's not to say that there wasn't going to be 600, 700 watt models or that wasn't planned for because the coolers are obviously just disgustingly large, but it, it just ended up being sort of nothing out of the ordinary, really, uh, especially once we got the 4080 and that still used the same ridiculous coolers, which doesn't make sense, at least in most instances. So yeah, that that's a point I made a few times now. Y you agree, right? There's no reason these coolers would be this big unless they were probably planning to push them way harder. It doesn't make any sense. I, I would say so. I, I've got no real other explanation for why that would be because you could have just used like, for example, 3090s, custom 3090 TIs, uh, they run pretty cool and quiet, really. Uh, so I don't know why we needed to almost double the cooler size for uh, the 4090. And then you know, a lot of the 4080s use the same cooler or a, modify, a slightly modified version. So I'd agree with that. Uh, I've got nothing that contradicts that. So yeah, mm -hmm. I, I would have thought they were planning for much higher power usage than we ended up seeing. Um, yeah, I, I think I think what really did happen is just at the last minute, they realized, number one, they probably didn't need it based on whatever indications they had for RDNA 3. Mm -hmm. And also, I think a lot of testing has shown it really wouldn't have given them anything. I mean, it was already probably in its current form pushed way outside of its ideal power envelope anyways. Yeah, well, it could have been an RDNA 3 type situation where they were hoping it would be more efficient. Uh, or, you know, the efficiency curve would be adjusted to what it ended up being, perhaps. Um, if anything, RDNA 3's shown us that those things can go awry a month from launch because clearly AMD thought they had something a bit different than they did quite close to launch. Uh, otherwise, it doesn't really explain why they went about things the way they did. Well... I guess, you know, let me skip over some of the CPU stuff in the script and jump right into that because you brought it up. And I think that's, you know, one of the more interesting discussions that we can have here. Um, without a doubt, and I think me and you talked about it a little bit before, like, like behind the scenes, but there is 
no way AMD intended the average to be what it, well, I shouldn't say no way. Obviously, you never know for sure. But it seems pretty obvious that AMD thought the average performance was going to be a lot higher than what they ended up getting to, right, with RDNA 3. Yeah, well, there's obviously a massive internal disconnect between departments there, or it just didn't end up doing what they thought it was legitimately going to do. Uh, because I think it was off the top of my head, 40 something percent they were claiming uh, over a 6950 XT for the 700 XTX mm-hmm. and ended up being. And the review guide, right? Uh, even the review guide was a, uh, it wasn't quite as bold as the initial claim, but it was still higher than reality, which I think reality was around 30% um, from memory on that one, which, you know, 10, 15% doesn't sound like a huge amount, but another 10-15% gets you pretty close to a 4090 or thereabouts. So in the grand scheme of things, it makes a big difference to where that product's positioned. How would you then summarize where we're at now? Lovelace versus RDNA 3. Like, Say you had a friend who hadn't paid attention for a year, and they're like, hey, I heard new NVIDIA and AMD stuff launched. Uh, What's the deal? Like, Who did what? What's winning? And how would you summarize these lineups? How would I summarize it? <laughs> Have you seen the conclusions of my head-to-heads? They run for about 20 minutes. That's me summarizing it. No, uh, well, obviously, if you want the best of the best, it's a 4090, whether you want to spend mm-hmm. that much money or not, it's totally up to you. So clearly, NVIDIA's won in that regard. They have the most powerful, fastest gaming uh, graphics card on the market. But then when we come down to sort of 4080 levels, 700 XTX, who wins there? Uh, yeah, again, it, it depends on what you're after, the games you play, the features you're interested in, and then probably most importantly, pricing in your region, stuff like availability as well. I, I don't know really how to summarize that battle like who wins because it's kind of, it, it, it's almost 50-50 in a lot of ways. And it's the same thing when you go down to sort of the 4070 Ti and 7900 XT. So what are your thoughts? Well, I guess what I would kind of get at is the 4090 is interesting because it truly brings a new level of performance, you know, Mm -hmm. so that's interesting. And it does so basically at the same price point as the previous gen flagship. So that's, that's interesting below that. I think what I said in my 4080 review was basically it is a tier better than the 3090 Ti in my testing. It does feel better. It's noticeable, but it's just barely there. And it, certainly doesn't feel remotely close to the 4090 and it costs so much and then i would just underline it costs so much and go you know i don't find almost anything interesting here (laughs) like there's always something better and if it's not bringing something to the table that you couldn't have gotten before i mean when i look at the 4070 ti which seems like they tried to mostly sell for 900 but that went away pretty quickly and it is generally findable at $800 US now. Um, I don't know why I would get that when you can get like a 6950 XT for $600. And basically I find almost everything besides the 4090 boring compared to last gen RDNA 2 pricing besides the 7900 XTX, which I would argue is, is because it has more RAM and is that little bit better kind of the consolation prize if you don't want to spend 1600 I, I get it. I get why you might do that. But everything else, I'm like, you're spending 50% more than last gen for 10% more performance. Well, I, I completely agree with that. As for the current gen ones, which would you should buy you know, more VRAM or FSR or 
Yeah, so, sorry, um, DLSS frame generation rather on NVIDIA's side. Yeah, you can argue over features who has what, which one's better to buy, but yeah, I, I largely agree with you. It's like the 4090 is exciting because it does something that it's, an, it's a new tier of performance that nothing else can touch. Of course, it costs a lot of money, but it, it's exciting. There's some merit to that product, but then as you filter down, it's just it becomes very unexciting very quickly. And it, really, it's because we're not seeing an improvement in cost per frame. Like mm-hmm. it's a big problem when a 6800 XT and a 7900 XT could be from the same product category, like the same product family uh, outside mm-hmm. of power consumption. Let's, you know, I mean, they've roughly used about the same amount of power anyways. Yeah. The game is not going to care of. too much. Uh, but in terms of cost per frame, they, they slot into basically being in the same product family. So traditionally you would expect to see the next generation offer an improvement in cost per frame to make them exciting and, and, in, uh, sort of get people upgrading, which they're not doing that, entice people into the upgrade. Well, so I'm curious then about what you think about a hypothetical 4070, because at least from <laughs> a what... Hypothetical, I, a hypothetical 4070, eh? <laughs> oh, yes. You heard it here first. There's probably going to be one. Um, but uh, from what I've heard, you know, uh, I guess I don't know that I've specifically seen... I seen proof of 12 gigabytes. It's basically proven this thing's going to be 12 gigabytes. It's going to be 10 to 20% weaker than the 4070 Ti. And at least from what I saw in writing, the current plan is, which trust me, I argued with some people over this before I put out the, my leak because I'm like, this is absurd, um, is that they might charge $750 for the 4070, which is only $50 less MSRP than the 4070 Ti but that they might keep AIBs at MSRP so that effectively it's like kind of street pricing a hundred bucks cheaper. Um, that's what I've heard. I still to this, I'm getting, that's one of those things I'm like, yeah, I remember there were a lot of graphics cards that were like 10% more a month before they came out. And then they waited to see everyone's reaction and the price became lower. I, I, I suspect that's what's going on, but I think there's no way around it. It's going to be, it's not going to be 500 (laughs) like if that's where they're considering and Beefish writes in and says good afternoon tom and steve although i'm not expecting a pricing announcement on a 4070 this week 750 sounds historically bad and even if they drop it to 700 i think it'll be terrible how would you reset pricing on the lovelace lineup to make sense to consumers I'm not expecting an Ampere launch levels of value, at least at MSRP, but what is something you think would make the line make sense? So if we accept that the 4090 is 1600, although let me know if you, you know, if you would have put it any lower, I think there's an argument to shareholders NVIDIA can just get away with that. But mm. if the 4090 is 1600, where would you price the rest of the lineup that you think would make sense, relatively speaking? Well, uh- I could t- as for the 4070, I don't have any official information, so timing's worked out well that I can talk about that because I know what mm-hmm. the rest of you know. I've seen the leaks and your information and, and, and other information and um, gigabytes sort of uh, a slip up. So I, I'm aware of all that, but I don't oh, have anything official. It's always gigabyte, by the way. It, yeah, it's yep. always so, a leak from them. <laughs> so to, to talk about that pricing, $750, and I'm I don't really doubt that price. I find it absolutely absurd. Uh, I think it'd be a, a bad joke at that price. The reviews would be pretty shocking. Uh, so while I don't think it should be $750, i am not saying it won't be. 
Uh, even $700, I would say, is going to be pretty poor value, um, even relative to the 4072i, based on what I think it'll deliver in terms of performance. So that sort of part I'd like to see 650 as the max price, which I think is the max price it should be, but I, I certainly don't think that's the max price that it will be. Uh, and then what do I think it should be? Uh, probably like a 500 to <laughs> maybe $600 product. Uh, I can't recalculate everything off the top of my head mm -hmm. based on the previous generation, but I'm always hesitant to talk about 3090s, 3090Ti's, 6900XT, 6950XT's, because I classified them as dumb products mm -hmm. of the previous generation. So I don't want to get sucked into that thing where they do that mid-cycle refresh and they offer garbage tier products like a 3070 Ti or 3080Ti that make no sense in terms of value. I mean, admittedly, they did come in the middle of a cryptocurrency boom. But I try to avoid those dumb products mm -hmm. as using them as the benchmark for the next generation. So I'm always looking at, you know, where does the 6800 XT, where does the RTX 3080 10 gigabyte, uh, where do they fit in in terms of cost per frame and then base where I think the next generation sort of, well, mid-tier and basically the whole lineup should be priced. And I think that would see a 4070, probably around five, let's say 550. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's hard to say off the top of your head, but basically a lot cheaper than it is. And that, of course that goes for the 7900 XT. I think um, straight the bat, I said that should be $700 at most. Like, mm -hmm. I agree. I mean, uh, I, I, I remember, I mean, it's obvious it's a 7,800 XT. It should be, I think it should be at most 750. And for being honest, it should probably be $700. Mm -hmm. Um, but I, I guess on that note, then Kinahoon writes in and says, do you think if AMD drops the 7,900 XT to $700, it will fly off the shelves? Mm, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's basically guaranteed. Although, uh, well, I think I just I just said that's where I think it should have been initially. Uh, mm -hmm. And yeah, I mean, that, that's pretty much where it should be. I think that's reasonable. I think given things like inflation, you know, the current economic climate, I think $700 is a price that they could still make good margins on. And I think that's where it should have been. And if it gets down that low, then yeah, I think it will, it'll fly off shelves. I mean, we've already seen it pick up a lot at $800. $800 mm -hmm. still isn't a great price, but it's a lot better than $900, yeah. which was an absolutely dis just disgustingly bad price for that product. So good to see it drop down closer to where it should be. But yeah, I'd, I'd love to see it at $700. Well, it's funny because, and I double-checked like a few benchmarks before starting this, mm -hmm. the 7900 XTX is like 20 to 25% stronger performance, generally speaking. Okay, so at nine hundred dollars, it's it's actually worse price performance yes. to get the seventy nine hundred XT, and in fact, at eight hundred dollars, it's maybe a hair better price performance. But mm -hmm. I'm not used to this world where, like, going down the product stack, you get excited for two percent better price performance, and you lose a lot of the wow factor when you're not at the top. The XTX is pretty close to the top, so if you know, better price performance is 800. I sit here and I go, well, so then even notably better 700. I almost wonder if even, I think it would sell well. I think it would start moving, but I don't know that it would fly off the shelves as much, especially because 
it didn't get good initial reviews because of its initial price. And so I almost wonder if AMD now needs to overcorrect. And I think the same thing of a lot of AMD launches, like the 7950X, I think if it started at 600, would have sold better and kept selling well. But now it's almost like they need to drop it to 500 to make up for the initial bad reviews. And I, I don't, I, ju- I just feel, I, I just wonder if you think that's a factor as well. Like when you get bad initial reviews, you have to almost overcorrect. I think so. I think an easy way to combat that would be to do an official price cut. People get excited for official price cuts because that's not just you know, Newegg or Micro Center or some sort of US-based seller. It, it should propagate to all regions as an official price cut. People expect that. We'd see it in Australia, for example. So I think an official announcement, and that also gets reviewers to re-review or do updated benchmarks and get excited about this. You know, There'll be head-to-head comparisons mm. with the nearest GeForce competitor. So while I think getting the price right from the start is a much smarter play than the way that they've gone about it, I think if they can head that off a bit with an official price cut and that'll get people excited about the product. I I do think at $700, it would be a pretty hot item just because even at $800, you know, what can you get that's competitive? Yes, a a 4070 Ti, for example, but that's a little bit more expensive though. I have seen them get down to 800 now. Uh, but that's that's your alternative. And as you were saying, I totally agree with you as well about paying a small premium for the next tier of performance as you got that that sort of trend continues, which is why the cost per frame graphs for a product family shouldn't necessarily be you know a straight line of all the same dollar per frame values. There'll be a bit of a you know a premium associated mm-hmm. with the next tier up because with the next tier up, not only are you getting that you know extra wow factor as, as you put it, but you're also getting more VRAM. So you are mm-hmm. getting improvements there other than just FPS. So maybe you can run at higher textures in the future or or something like that. Well, and that's actually a pretty major factor here. And it's kind of, it's it's genuinely very disappointing to me to see this. I mean, you look at the top and it's like, well, now, yeah, it's a thousand dollars. And yeah, the 6,900 XT wasn't really great value, but hey, AMD has a 24 gigabyte card at a grand. That's a lot of RAM. And 20 gigabytes at 800, hopefully soon lower than that would be good. But what NVIDIA is doing with this 12 gigabytes at $800, Mm. I mean, it's already in like almost every recent game running out of VRAM to the point that uh, some of the ray tracing losses or ties seems to be because it ran out of VRAM. It's hard for me to recommend 12 gigabytes to anyone over $500 anymore. It seems like it's becoming a huge issue. Yeah, I think for the most part these days it's okay. But, you know, we have seen examples, like you say, where it does run out of VRAM. Uh, I don't want to pretend that's the norm, but I Mm. agree with you anyway because games will continue to get more demanding. So how long are you going to hold on to this thing for? Um, In a year, games will be more demanding, but are you going to pay $800 for one year or do you want it to last three years? Uh, And based on some recent polls we've done on the channel, we know people want sort of 50-plus percentage performance uplifts before they'll upgrade at the same price point. When are you getting something 50% more expensive than a four? Uh, sorry, when are you getting something 50% more powerful than a 4070 Ti mm. for $800? It's probably going to be a few generations. So by that, you'd be holding onto it for a few years. And yeah, you're right. The 12 gigabyte VRAM buffer will almost certainly be a problem. And Tim and I have talked about this till <laughs> what well, seems like the end of time because mm-hmm. I'm not pretending that when you run out of VRAM, the card's obsolete and can't be used anymore. You can dial down certain quality settings, primarily textures that will still allow you to play the game. 
And in a lot of instances, the impact of visuals isn't massive, but also if you've got the option of two 800-ish dollar products, do you want to then have to compromise on one just a year down Mm. the track, whereas the other one you don't have to? And this was the argument I made with the original RTX 3070 versus I think it was the Mm -hmm. RX 6800, twice as much VRAM. Uh, I want to do an update on those two cards, by the way, and see how the 8 gigabyte versus 16 gigabyte VRAM buffer, how they're comparing in 2023. But the Radeon GPU was cheaper back then. Uh, and while it didn't have, you know, ray tracing, DLSS at the time, um, FSR wasn't really a thing, and DLSS is still superior in terms of visual quality, but don't want to get into that one. But we're a few years down the track now, so it'll be interesting to see how that argument has aged because, yeah, a lot of people didn't think that would be an issue, and I think 8 gigabytes of VRAM is kind of an issue now for a, what would you call a 3070? I mean, it's a pretty high-end product. It's a, at worst, it's mid-tier. So I'd sort of, saw, sort of say mid to yeah. high-end. Yeah, I mean, when it came out, I would have said it's upper mid-range to maybe lower high-end. Um, I'm trying to think of like an equivalent mm-hmm. graphics card from previous gens. I would have said that about it. I mean, it depends how far back you go. But mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I, I don't... And it's funny because I think a lot of people think I've contradicted myself when I sometimes say this much RAM matters and I sometimes say it doesn't. It's like, well, the the higher you get up in the stack, the more I think it's annoying that you have to lower any setting. Exactly. You know, like, and I can, you know, it's funny. I actually recently tested the uh, 6500 XT8 gigabyte. And even with a 64-bit bus, there were every game that got like a 20, 30% boost in performance. And I was like, oh, so already even in 1080p medium settings, this is a major issue. And any graphics card that has, and this, I mean, we're talking like $200 performance at most, you know, and they're giving the same amount of RAM to a 3070. I mean, it's, and, and presumably from, what rumors suggest the 4060 and 4060 Ti. Mm, I, I just can't, I just don't see it. I don't, I know <laughs> like eight gigabytes. It's fine. You know, for a low end card, I guess. But even then I, it's like, I'm starting to think, you know, it's not 2020. It's not 2022. It's 2023. I don't really think any graphics card could get by with two gigabytes. And I think four gigabytes, <laughs> Isn't enough unless you're in 720p at this point, really. So I'm sure is the minimum. Can. It is, right? And mm-hmm. so you're giving the minimum cards where you're charging not minimum pricing. Um, but I'm curious, you know, to round out a question. All right, let's just even just say they changed their mind. It's $700 for the 4070. Where do you think the 4060 Ti lands then? Well, that's the problem and that, that sort of, leads into the conversation we're just having. So you get a full, uh, 4060, let's say 8 gigs of uh, VRAM, which seems plausible based on what we've seen from the 4070 series. I don't know. I don't. Well, having said that, we did see the 3060 and the 3060 Ti, so maybe it will get 12 gigs of VRAM. Uh, let's go, let's yeah. go with 8 just for, for argument's sake. That's going to be an expensive product. You, you're talking about what could be an 8 gigabyte graphics card for, well, I have to say $500, right? It I think so. That's what I would guess. <laughs> I would have to guess it would be around that if we're getting around seven hundred dollars for the forty seventy. I, I don't know. I'm interested to see how that plays out. That's not good. I guess there's always going to be a price where you would still recommend it, but mm-hmm. oh all yeah, right. definitely. 
definitely. If it's if it was a two hundred and fifty dollar product, and, sure, you know, absolutely, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, half the price of what it's probably going to be. Maybe even three hundred dollars. Um, three hundred dollars US though. I mean, that's a lot for eight gigs of VRAM. Um, but it's certainly more acceptable than five hundred dollars. But I, I guess my question is: Are we getting to a point where you think there? And, and then obviously, there's never absolutes. You always got to take multiple things into account. But is there a point where you'd almost go at this pricing level? I don't care what the performance is. No, like for example, let's say the 4060 Ti, which honestly seems like it's going to have like 3070 Ti performance or something. Let's say that's five hundred dollars. So let's anchor that there. So we know it's five hundred dollars. All right. If it had six gigabytes of RAM, but it was the same performance as a 4070 Ti, would you recommend it to anyone? Well, I mean, it's a tricky question because the performance is somewhat tied to the VRAM. Like, how are you achieving that 4070 Ti mm-hmm. levels of performance? Are you lowering textures to low? So you're not Probably. Exceeding the, yeah. So uh, if you have to, if it's a situation where if you 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 mitigate the VRAM buffer being exceeded by lowering textures and whatever other quality settings to fit within a six gigabyte VRAM buffer. And that'll result in you know, frame rate performance is comparable to a high end card. That's just an odd product. I mean, that's, it's really, that's sort of 6,500 XT levels of odd product. So it's, it's yes. not a good product. Uh, and it sort of brings me back to the 6,500 XT. Cause a lot of AMD fans are really upset with my review, thought it was unreasonable, unfair because I was testing with settings that exceeded a four gigabyte VRAM buffer. But my point was, well, all these other entry-level products like a, a 1650, 1650 Super, mm-hmm. because they're not as heavily gimped at the PCIe Express bus level, uh, they're not seeing anywhere near the, the performance impact when exceeding the VRAM buffer. Uh, and also those quality settings and those tests were in place well ahead of the 6500 XT release. It was like, we were just like, well, use medium in this game because that makes sense for a $200 graphics card. And then along comes a $200 graphics card that's a $300 graphics card and it doesn't work. So do we then reformat our review to accommodate what I believe is a crap product just to make it look a little less crap? Or mm-hmm. do we just say that, you know, you, you can achieve very playable performance with a GTX 1650 under these conditions, but you can't with a more, you know, 6500 XT. So if, if you saw that situation with the, the Frankenstein hellish GPU that you've just proposed, our benchmark suite would destroy it. it, it That's just true. Would. So it wouldn't deliver 4070 Ti levels of performance because we'd have to modify visual quality settings to enable that. So and Forgive me, but I'm getting into absurd territory here. All right. <laughs> What if it was as strong as a 4080, but it had six gigabytes and it was $500? I mean, it's really at that point, the CSGO edition graphics card. The, the rain, yeah. it's, it's the <laughs> multiplayer, it's the competitive multiplayer gaming graphics card, which, hey, such a product at the right price would be awesome because there's plenty of people that play multiplayer games and do not care about 12 gig texture packs or whatever they may be. I mean, mm-hmm. I myself predominantly play multiplayer games. It's very rare I'll play a single player game and usually it's done for research purposes like, Hogwarts Legacy, I played just enough of that thing and then I stopped playing it. Seemed I like a fine it to make game. Sure my, <laughs> make sure my girlfriend's PC would work, which I imagine a lot of people have done for that game. Yeah. My, my daughter's gone on and played it and loves it. It looked like yeah, a high quality game, but uh, yeah, I'm more of a, a multiplayer sh- 
shooter type gamer or, or, or strategy gamer. So single player stuff is a bit of a chore for me. I, I used to play a lot of single player games when I was 25 years younger than I am now, <laughs> but it's mostly just socializing with friends, playing multiplayer games. And so a card like that would actually work for me because I play those games with texture settings generally dialed down a bit, but things like shadows off and a lot of other quality settings dialed right down. So the, the VRAM requirements are pretty low. And I, I could play on low quality textures anyway. It looks gross, but for a multiplayer game, in some ways it's beneficial. I, I guess what I, we're getting to though is it wouldn't just have to be, which I guess it's up for debate if performing like how the 4070 Ti does at $500 <laughs> is even, so that's what we fun. should expect, by the way, even with enough RAM at this point. But sure. Um, but you're saying it would it would take an absurd amount more performance than expected. And generally speaking, you think eight gigabytes belongs firmly way below five hundred dollars now and maybe mm. like below three hundred. I mean, it was questionable at five hundred dollars two years ago. So right. surely today I think everyone would agree that for five hundred dollars you should be getting more than eight gigabytes of VRAM, especially with games becoming more visually impressive as time goes on. And when we have these discussions, I'm not just thinking about right now. I'm thinking about, well, if mm-hmm. someone purchased this card, they want to be using it for at least two years, I would have thought. And two years from now, the requirements from games are going to be a bit steeper than what they are now. So, uh, and again, as we've sort of said, the, the VRAM capacity thing, we don't expect every card to have 20, 24 gigabytes of VRAM. It is somewhat tied to the price. But also there's how much VRAM you'll actually need as well. And I, mm-hmm. I do consider eight gigabytes of VRAM very much to be entry level. I think that's what was historically t- sub $200 products. That's your eight gigabyte of VRAM in my opinion. And then 12 gigabytes mm-hmm. is sort of the minimum for, well, the next tier up certainly. Um, I think it's firmly <laughs> mid range now. I do. Like, it is. I, I, it it's is. like, and I think, this is this is an argument I've gotten in with people in the comments section where they're like, well, it's $800, so it's high end. And I'm like, no, it's mid-range, and they're charging you $800. Yeah, that's a separate problem. Uh, tackle yeah. one problem at a time. Uh, and it's, it's always funny when people argue with you on these sort of topics because it's like, well, hang on, what is it? Am I an out-of-touch YouTuber that gets the hardware for free? Or am I on your side and I'm advocating yeah. for better products? It's like, pick one, please. Uh, Steve, you're bad if you don't tell them what they want to hear. I think that's the answer. Well, yeah. But yeah, I mean, I can give up if you want, but honestly, I'd rather push for, for better products. This much, Jesse is focusing on playing tug of war, fetching sticks and balls all day and night and just watching over the neighborhood. But me, I'm actually doing a decent amount of testing on equipment for new builds for members of my family. And one thing I won't have to watch for when it comes to these builds is where to get reasonably priced Windows keys. And that's because I use cdkeyoffer.com. This piece of content is sponsored by cdkeyoffer.com and their March sales event. Spring forward into avoiding paying monopolistic fees for Windows 10, Windows 11, and Microsoft Office products this 
this March. Click on the links in the description to help this channel, by the way. Seriously, just clicking on those links helps Moore's Law is dead a lot. But what would help even more if you need a Microsoft Office key is to use offer code BROKENSILICON to save 25% off all Microsoft products and then DieShrink to save 3% off everything else on the website because they do also sell Steam games, PlayStation keys, and even gaming gear as well. Use cdkeyoffer.com today. Dino999 writes in though, and he says, I mean, I can't imagine many people are going to shop for $300 to $500 eagerly to buy a 4060. And I mean, the, and do you think they will? And, and, I, and you know, that's the current rumors is that the 4060 actually uses the 107 die, uh, which I don't know, maybe if they push it, you're looking at 3060 Ti performance, only eight gigabytes. The 4060 Ti seems to maybe use the full 106 die, so you've got 3070 Ti performance. Do you, I only personally think the 4060 at 3060 Ti performance is interesting if actually it's $300. Almost like um, if you'll remember the GTX 960 mm-hmm. that really actually lost to the 760 in some games and had 128-bit bus, but it was cheaper than the 760. I still didn't really like it, to be honest, but do you think that could make it sell out? Or I, I'm kind of wondering if you think people are going to buy into a $500 4060 Ti with 8 gigs and, let's be honest, probably a 350 or $400 40, 60 with 8 gigabytes. Well, what's that going to be equivalent to from the previous generation, say GeForce GPU? What what would you expect that to be roughly equivalent to? 3060 Ti and 3070 Ti. Yeah, I was thinking guess. sort of somewhere in the 3070 range. So I guess my question, I'll, I'll reverse question this one. Who's buying it? That's, that's sort of what I want to get at. Who's mm. spending that kind of money on that level of performance? Like, what do you have to be using where you would say, hey, that's a good upgrade for me? You know, I'm mm-hmm. now spending that much money. Like You're talking many generations of hardware that people have been holding on for. And then you know, it really only comes down to someone who's building a brand new system from the ground up that is faced with this current generation of pricing that sort of has to work at, okay, well, I've got $500 to spend. That's $500. I guess I'll get that. I, I don't know uh, what sort of percentage new system builders attribute to graphics card mm-hmm. sales opposed to people upgrading, I, especially mm-hmm. in our audiences. I would say the majority would be upgraders, people who are upgrading right. because generally you, you keep your motherboards. You're an enthusiast. You yeah. know, you upgrade multiple times. That's right. Graphics cards generally, a platform will see at least two graphics cards minimum. So who's upgrading to a product like that for that kind of money? It's it's a weird one, and if if you're gonna wait that long, you you just go. Oh, I don't really want to spend that kind of money on that level of performance with that kind of VRAM. I'll just bite the bullet and spend a ton more. And maybe that's the strategy here from Nvidia and and AMD. They're just forcefully upselling everyone, or it's a situation now where instead of yeah, I'm not I'm not suggesting everybody upgrades every single new generation, but it seems like it's getting to the point now. It's like three or four generations before mm-hmm. you upgrade. Yeah. Well, I think I actually thought of, I was Googling to see if I could find an example of something here. Like, cause I heard that in a, a recent DLSS 
so like Sackboy's big run or something like mm-hmm. in a benchmark they may have forced on DLSS three if you use the in-game benchmark. I heard that. Um, I, I couldn't verify it by double checking now, so I just want to say I think I heard that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's the answer. I think the way they try to sell it is they say, well, I mean, you know, this is 3070 or 3060 Ti performance, but with DLSS three, it's as good as a 3080. I think that's pretty obviously what they're going to try to do. Yeah, well, they've been using that strategy ever since tensor cores became a thing with DLSS ray tracing and now frame generation, and they just keep adding to that that tensor core bag of tricks that they can use to upsell people. Well, I mean, I, you were, if I remember correctly, or I guess it was Tim, right, uh, who did mm-hmm. the analysis of DLSS three. Mm-hmm. His conclusion was you should never put it on a chart of average frame rates because they Mm. aren't frames. Mm -hmm. And I think that was well put, but that is probably the harshest criticism I've seen that was put in a way that wasn't just saying this sucks. You know, he actually thought out how to say why it feels disingenuous. Yeah, well, I don't know how harsh it is. It's just factually correct. So uh, it's not a traditional frames per second it's it's just it's not what a frame is because you're not getting the input. So it's better described, I suppose, as a smoothing technology. So you're smoothing mm-hmm. out the frame rates, which in some scenarios can lead to noticeably better visual performance. But a big part of that visual equation, which is why a lot of gamers originally shot for high frame rates, is the improved input. And again, I've I've already mentioned that you know I've got a multiplayer background. I still play multiplayer games to this day, and a the biggest component of performance is the input. As soon as you have any kind of laggy input, the game feels terrible, very unenjoyable. Mm-hmm. So it, it's for me, I would rather almost the input be the focus rather than the smooth frame rate. Uh, it sounds a bit odd, but yeah, the input's mm-hmm. really important. So It's harder to market that though, I suppose, because you can't try to force it onto a graph or something. Yeah, and like um, frame generation is an impressive technology. It's, it's very cool with what it can do. The, the problem that I think, as Tim's explained, and I totally agree with, is that it's not simply you turn it on, you double your frame rate, and it's happy days. There's situations where, uh, say, going from 30 FPS to 60 or or 40 to 80, for me, that personally is terrible because the reason I hate playing at below 60 FPS is because the input. So mm-hmm. that, that's not solved for me personally. Uh, again, it's probably more of a... Well, it's absolutely not a multiplayer feature anyway. So if you're playing multiplayer games, you're never using it, period. Like, mm-hmm. Just don't use it. It is it is completely dead for multiplayer. And that's not just my opinion. Like, that's that's the situation. So this is really for single-player gamers, which is something I've already admitted to not really being. Tim, of course, is. But then you've got to be within that frame rate window for it to be of benefit there, unless you're not, I guess, as Tim said in his content, really not that... Uh, picky with with your input. If if you don't mind laggy input, then and and you prefer a smooth presentation, then you know frame generation is great. Um, you know it's funny. Um, I was just on the podcast Sacred Symbols, which is actually a console podcast, but they were talking about how and I forgot which game it was. I feel bad about that, but there was like an indie developer, and I don't remember if he got this data from having the game on Steam or if he just collected it from having it on PlayStation or something. Mm-hmm. But they said that the default setting in the game, when you boot it up, sets it to 60 frames per second mode on the console or something. And they're like, okay. yeah, it should be the default 60 mm-hmm. frames. 
They oh, said yeah. that 75% of people turned it down to 30 frames for higher visual quality. And yeah, that's, that's Colin, console gamers, yeah. Well, that's yeah. what Colin asked me is, are we out of touch always asking for higher frame rates? Because he does too, even though he's a console gamer. He's like, yeah. I can't believe how long I was gaming like that. Do you, do you think, and I, I'm the same way, I game at a high refresh rate. I have for, five, for a decade, I don't know. But like, do you think maybe there are a lot of people though that maybe like that though, that we hate? Because I do hate it. Uh, maybe. I, I, I like to think not on the PC and certainly not in our audience because we've polled a lot of this stuff before. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, it seems like, in our audience, at least a lot of people are of a similar opinion to me. Like when I play a, a single player game, I really do like a minimum of 90 FPS because I like mm-hmm. the input there. It, it's not noticeably laggy. Um, even 60 FPS I'm, doesn't feel great to me. 90 sort of where it starts to become good. And a, a huge percentage of our audience agreed with that. Uh, and I, yeah, I'd rather sacrifice visuals to get that, that 90 FPS feeling. Um, and that's, that's where it you know, starts to feel good beyond that uh, it's hard like 30 fps i could never do i i, I would honestly give I up on gaming if i if, if you said to me you have to play games at 30 fps moving forward i've got plenty of other hobbies i enjoy and frankly i'd rather go do those than game at 30 fps uh, might offend some people i mean it's an opinion <laughs> i'm sorry if that opinion offends you don't have you, but, to agree but uh you don't have what? to agree but yeah 30 fps for me is horrible um and you can say that's an elitist thing or whatever. And I mean, sure, I'll accept that. I, I used to game on console. I used to game at 30 FPS. And it's kind of a situation where not knowing any better, it's fine. Um, people deal with all different kinds of conditions because they either don't know better or they've just had to make do. That's that's fine. Uh, but once I moved to PC gaming, and I, this is way back in like Quake 3 Rocket Arena days, mm-hmm. And we realized you could play those games at hundreds of frames per second, even on a 60 hertz monitor. It's it's a huge benefit. Uh, and once you start playing games at those kind of frame rates and and enjoying that kind of input, going back to 30, you can't do it. Well, let uh, me ask you this, though. You said um, image quality. Mm-hmm. Most of the uh, NVIDIA's charts that they put out in press releases for DLSS 3 shows dlss3 on like a 4090 and then it will show like 3080 dlss quality mode or something um why are they using quality mode because there's artifacts that appear when you use dlss3 frame generation that really can distract all over the place and really hurt image quality shouldn't the comparison between like a 4090 with DLSS three frame generation on B to a 3090 with DLSS ultra performance mode on, because I might argue that DLSS ultra performance mode looks in some ways as good as DLSS three with frame generation. Cause you don't have artifacts popping up. And I'm wondering what you think about that as well. Cause I think that's the more fair, maybe it maybe not a fair comparison five years ago, but mm-hmm. yeah, DLSS has gotten better in balanced mode. It doesn't look as bad as it used to. And I would suggest it, a lot of games with frame generation on, that looks worse than DLSS with performance mode on. Shouldn't that be the comparison? Well, when we're talking about NVIDIA, AMD, or Intel, or basically now the corporation for that matter's marketing department, I don't think fair is a metric they quite understand or, or care to deal with. So I just haven't seen anyone bring it up though either. You know, um, like I guess it's just like one of those things because it's it's sort of splitting hairs at the end of the day because how DLSS 
you know, upscaling looks depends on the game, the resolution, a whole heap of variables. And then the artifacts in frame generation vary depending on the game and and the stage of development and all that sort of stuff. So I'm not sure. I'm not saying I disagree with you. I'm just saying I there's so many moving parts there that I don't think it matters too much. Um, yeah. Uh, you're, you're comparing two very different things anyway to begin with. Um, it's really just here's frame generation off, here's it on, and here's how much smoother it is, but here's maybe some visual you know, artifacts or what, whatever it may be. Um, but I will just say that I think DLSS has gotten to a really good place minus the mm-hmm. frame generation stuff. Not that I think the frame generation stuff's bad, it's just I think it has limited usefulness. But I think DLSS as an upscaling technology is actually pretty fantastic, is, is, would be my general opinion of it. Um, I would say more the quality mode. Uh, that's generally what I use, the quality mode. Um, but yeah, I, I like DLSS. I, I, I don't think it's necessarily always worlds better than FSR, mind you. Uh, I mm. think the comparison I've noticed in a lot of recent titles, in my opinion, but in a lot of recent titles, I find FSR 2 is, even sometimes FSR 1 is actually very impressive, like in mm-hmm. the games that have come out in the past six months, to uh, the point that I it, it's a lot closer than it used to be, FSR 2 is. Uh, certainly at high resolutions, like 4K. 1080p, I think FSR is still tends to be kind of garbage. Uh, but again, I haven't tested every game, every situation, stuff like that. But just my general observations are that at higher resolutions, FSR is quite similar to DLSS, but as you go down, and mind you, DLSS isn't exactly amazing at 1080p either, uh, but I'd say it's generally quite a bit better than FSR. But anyway, you can it's a per-game basis thing, and mm-hmm. it, it's, it's difficult to really... But I would say they're my general observations. Right. Well, I I feel like you're getting worried that we could be walking through fanboy landmines well, by saying these things. Or- well, we've been ragging on, you know, GeForce GPUs for limited VRAM, which I think is really a discussion everybody should be having, whether you're a member of r slash AMD or r slash NVIDIA. I, I think the limited VRAM thing is a problem, uh, and I'd like to see NVIDIA address that, but there's, I think there's a few reasons for why they won't. Um, and, you know, we haven't exactly been buttering up frame generation all that much, despite the fact that it is quite an impressive technology. I just, as I said, I think it has limited usefulness for, for PC gamers, but again, your, your mileage will vary, your opinions will vary. But I just want to say that, you know, I think DLSS in general is an impressive technology. We don't want to just be bashing all these impressive NVIDIA Well, no, I, I think um, by far, you know, DLSS more so than ray tracing is a major selling point oh. for NVIDIA graphics cards right now. Yep. And it is to the point where, hey, if the 4070 Ti had the same amount of VRAM as a 7900 XT, yeah, I'd, I'd recommend it because it has DLSS. I would. Mm-hmm. You know, it'd be that simple. It doesn't, well, but I would. The thing with DLSS is you can use that for multiplayer games. It's not limited to mm-hmm. a subset of gamers. Uh, initially, it was a bit funky and things like Call of Duty and stuff, but now it's... Okay. Yeah, DLSS quality mode. It definitely boosts your performance. It doesn't hurt your input, uh, and it's good. It works well. But again, ray tracing. If you're primarily playing, you know, Apex Legends, Fortnite, Call of Duty, those type of games, that's what you. And most of my friends spend most of their time just playing multiplayer games. So ray tracing for them has limited usefulness. Uh, again, though, if, mm-hmm. if you care about ray tracing, obviously buy a GeForce GPU. Uh, yeah, I'll leave it at that. 
Okay, so I'm actually going to switch gears here mm -hmm. um, to the thing that I thought we would get to first, but we have not, and that's Zen 4 X3D. So, right. you know, again, if someone asked you, they're like, hey, I heard Zen 4 was going to get Vcash. Doesn't it now? Is it good? Like, what would your quick answer be to a more casual friend? Uh, yeah, it's good. <laughs> uh, basically when I said in my review, we, we haven't, in my opinion, we still haven't got it yet. I want the, 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 uh, the 7800 X3D is what I want. So mm -hmm. when that comes out, I imagine that'll be a go-to CPU for gamers. Uh, price-wise, it should really outcompete the 13900K. Uh, there really shouldn't be anything that can touch it in terms of price to performance. So that's a good CPU. It's obviously on a platform that has a lot of legs. So that's also a bonus. We don't know what that means yet, but there's the potential for it to, you know, drop in a really nice upgrade down the track. So yeah, if I answered your question, I, I would tell them probably wait, get a 7800X3D. Well, yeah, I, I, there were a lot of the reviews were, some of the reviews were mixed. I think there are generally good reviews, right, for the 7950X3D. Mm -hmm. But I do wonder how much of that, like, if AMD would have launched the 7800X3D first, that would have taken the performance crowns, massive efficiency crowns, and the price-to-performance, like, flagship gaming crown first. Mm -hmm. And then a month later, they launched the 7950X3D with a caveat. Hey, just to be clear, this is more niche. Like, we're just... I really wonder how much that would have informed the reviews on that product as well, because the problem is right now the 7800X3D isn't out, mm -hmm. and so you're forced to mention, hey, one out of 10 games as of now, maybe they'll improve it with drivers, has an issue. But if that would have happened after one came out with no issues, people would go, yeah, but it's for creators. I, I wonder what you think about that. I mean, I would have preferred them to do it that way. Absolutely, no questions asked. I don't really like the way they went about it, but I mean... I don't really get to dictate how they launch their products. Uh, it seems pretty clear that they, they launched the 7950X3D first. So people who, for some reason, couldn't wait a couple of months, just bought it and paid way more money than they should have for what they probably just want as a gaming CPU. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I, I agree. I think they should have done the 8-core first and then the 16-core later. Whether it was the same, I mean, personally, I think they should have just released them all at the same time like they did with the original Zen 4 release. And that way reviewers can either review them all together or, or dedicate separate content to each one. I, I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with the 7950X3D. I think it's a really good product. Uh, I just think that it's really primarily 3D V caches for gamers. Um, mm -hmm. So as I said in my review, it's kind of a weird hybrid CPU. Whereas if you want really strong gaming performance, but then you also want pretty strong productivity performance, it's a, it's a good CPU for that. But the extra cores are kind of like e-cores for gaming. They pretty much go largely unused. I don't know how much that'll change. It'll be so interesting to revisit this, mm -hmm. I don't know, oh, many, yeah. many, many, many years from now when we have games that are actually demanding and use CPUs well. Um, I'll probably have very gray hair by then and very wrinkled skin and <laughs> it's going to be a long way down the track. That might not be that long down the track um, with all these late nights benchmarking, but It'll be interesting to see how it actually performs uh, in the future. But basically, yeah, 7950, uh, 7800X3D. What is it, 7900X3D and the 7950X3D? I think they should have just all been launched at the same time. And people can just pick whichever one makes sense for them. Yeah. The, the, all right. The, the hot take I have is, I think, I, yeah, I said this in the, my, the launch day video I made, is 
I just don't know who it's for, though. <laughs> like, I can't help but think that what AMD should have done, and and I know that they have some yields that hit like 5.9 gigahertz somewhere around there, is launched a 7950 XT, whatever it is. If it's 6 gigahertz, it is. If it's 5.9, whatever. They should have launched that, and they should have launched one that is all Vcash. But, you know, that's clocks lower. And they should have right. just said, hey, 650 for the XT, 700 or 750 for the dual CCD Vcash one. Are you someone that wants 16 threads that are the, or 16 cores that are the fastest? Or are you someone that wants really probably the small form factor king, the most efficient 16 core you can get that also happens to be the best gaming CPU and also happens to mm. uh, probably in some limited AI workloads be really good at that as well? Because I don't, I don't get it. I'm going to be honest. I don't get who, once the, I know it's not out yet, but once the 7800X3D is out, I don't get who this creator is that's like, yeah, I think I'll pay 200 extra dollars for sometimes way better gaming performance, but sometimes not much better so that my multi-threading is not as good. Wait, I'm getting this for multi-threading if I have 16 cores, probably. Why would I not just save $200? It just feels like such a niche product to me. Like, why not? They probably want just the most performance out of 16 cores or they wouldn't get 16 cores. So why not have an XT for that? I don't know. I find it very weird. And maybe this is, you know, hindsight's 2020, but. Yeah, I mean, I would always just chalk up to financial reasons. Um, the, the money had to be a motivation there. And it's like an upselling technique. I mean, I, I, don't, I, I agree with you. Uh, but at the same time, I mean, it's good to have options as well. I just wish they were all launched at the same time. As for the dual Vcash CCD option, um, I think that's technically possible. I don't, I don't know for sure. I don't know if there's any technical reasons there for why they didn't do that. Uh, oh, they actually said in an interview they tested it, and from their perspective, it made more sense to give people faster performance with eight cores. Yeah, I heard them the say that as well. Yeah. So again, that doesn't really, that's AMD speak, like doesn't really confirm one way or the other. I mean, they've technically done it, uh, apparently. Whether there was any technical issues with it, I don't know. Uh, Yeah, it's hard hard to say on that one, but they obviously haven't done that uh, and they've delayed the launch of the part that everyone actually cares about. Well, so moving on to this then, um, right now, AMD has the gaming crown for the CPU, and presumably they will for at least the next six months, especially once the 7800X3D is out. Mm-hmm. But, you know, there's been rumors of a Raptor Lake refresh for, I think, a couple months now. Um, and I recently heard from a contact that Intel was very cagey about <laughs> if Meteor Lake's ever coming to desktop, really when it's coming out or what's happening with it in general. But they said, well, there, there will be a new generation on desktop this fall with faster multi-threading. And when I looked around, it seems like Raptor Lake has DLVR, which is like a voltage regulator that was supposed to lower power consumption, but I guess it, Asus confirmed it was lasered off because they, they didn't get it working. It sounds like they might get it working for a Raptor Lake refresh this fall, and it might allow them to get like, you know, pro- I don't know how much more there's left gas there's left in the tank for more single threading. They're already at six gigahertz, but <laughs> I, I guess two percent better single threading, maybe, and mm-hmm. maybe though a ten to twenty percent multi threading boost at the same or slightly lower power. 
Would you recommend that? Like, let's say there's a 14900K that launches this fall. It's 2% better single threading than the i9 KS we have now, but 10 to 20% better multi threading for $600. Would you be inclined to recommend that over, like, let's just say the 7950X is at 500 and the 7950X 3D is at 700? It's still probably going to lose in a lot of games by double digits to the, you know, X3D models. But in multi-threading now, it's probably not just winning by a hair, but by a lot. Would that, would that be something that would be probably likely to be more recommended by you? Hmm. Well, I'm not, I, I haven't done the big CPU battle yet because I, I took a holiday during the launch of all this stuff. So that's put me on the back foot a bit. I'm not sure if I'm unanimously recommending the 7950X 3D over the 13900K because mm-hmm. they do, in my opinion, they trade blows. They're pretty similar. Depends on, I mean, I haven't even looked at memory tuning for both of them yet. So it depends on, you know, whether you want to tune them, whether you want to run them stock. And then if you get a slightly better version of the 13900K, let's say, um, yeah, it's tough because, I mean, AMD could easily counter that with a price cut of their own and then the situation when this finally happens later in the year. I think they will. Yeah, so yeah. It, it, it's it's tough to say. I mean, uh, realistically, it keeps them competitive. It, it, it keeps them competitive and you could really argue pretty strongly one way or the other, which is how I'm looking at it at the moment. Uh, for me, obviously, the big advantage of the 7950X 3D and Zen 4 in general is power consumption. Um, I've seen some, mm-hmm. haven't done the testing myself yet. Uh, that's something I do plan on doing in a wide range of games. But what I've seen from others, yeah, the, the, the power usage there when gaming is pretty ridiculous. Uh, and even my, my 12900KS gets very hot when playing Fortnite, which is crazy. Uh, mm-hmm. Obviously the 4090 is helping cook it, but it does get hot. So I, it really comes down to pricing and availability to whether one blows one away or not. But I think it's going to be a pretty even fight based on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's it's kind of what I think as well, because, okay, so let's say it launches at $600. If you do a lot of multi-threading, now it's like firmly better than AMD. There's no doubt in your mind. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, if the 7950X is 500 bucks or less, and it could be that those things really don't cost very much to make. They could do like, I don't know who needs more than that. And then again, it comes back to, well, all right, so it costs 50% more and it uses 50% more power. I'm not really that excited. No, that's right. So yeah, it'll really come down to, it's hard to make any predictions there without seeing how things play out. Which we're, yeah, we're going to have to see on that, but Mm -hmm. I, I guess, yeah, I, that, that's my thoughts at this point as well. When I hear about that, as I'm like, kind of just seems like treading water to me and it's only going to be i guess you could say this about every product impressive if it's the right price yeah i mean i know fans let's say of, of each brand like to argue till i don't know the end of time about which one's better but if you said to me steve should i build a 13900k system or a 7950x 3d system i want to play games and do a bit of productivity i'd be like well you know, let's look at pricing your region. They both price out to be about the same. Like, honestly, it, it doesn't matter too much. Like, whichever one you like more, here are the cons and pros for each one. It, if you if if someone built one and someone built the other, I'd be like, yeah, you've you've both got two great high end systems. Congratulations! Mm-hmm. Like, stop fighting about which one's better and just go play games at very high frame rates because 
they're both great high-end systems. That's pretty much my viewpoint on it. It's not like, oh, mate, you made the worst mistake ever. Oh, and you look, idiot. I yeah, can't believe look, you did this. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Look, it might be a situation where we come back in three, four years sure. from now and just go, ooh, you know, buying the 1300K was a bad idea because, look, we have this new 3D Vcash super-duper CPU that slots into that motherboard. Uh, mm-hmm. And... Yeah, and, and again, a lot of people that are advocating for the 1300K are talking about spending five, six, $700 on dual-dim boards and getting DDR5 8,000 memory, which dubious to whether you can actually get I that stable. is going to be recommended for the 4900K if this thing happens. For sure, they're going to have your review kit and say, you better, Steve, be using 8400 mega transfer if you test <laughs> this. I'm sure that will be in the review guide. Well, I mean, that CPU might even support that memory really well. Who knows? But my sort of point there is that that's if if I'm spending five, six, seven hundred dollars on a motherboard, I want it to last more than, oh, that's the last CPU that I'm going to put in that socket. And then I'm just mm-hmm. trying to sell it, which hey, you might get good money for it. That is, it's it's both a negative and an advantage of Intel in the sense that their CPUs and the motherboards in particular hold their value so well. I was looking at prices of, I think it was a 9900K mm. the other day, and they're still like $300 plus on eBay.com. So like, you know, the US prices. So, yeah, I mean, I sold a 6700K last year, I think, for 150. And yeah. uh, I can assure you, an Alder Lake i3 is better. <laughs> like, it's ridiculous. Yeah, it is. It is crazy. So, while I can complain about, you know, Intel you know, having to throw away your expensive motherboard, you can probably get, I, I mean, I don't know how well the premium five, six, seven hundred dollar boards hold as the value. You're probably going to lose a fair chunk of change there, but maybe not. I, I don't know. Um, but I know the more mid range boards. Sometimes go up in value, so which is mm-hmm. crazy. Yeah, Jesse here loves bones, but it wouldn't be healthy for her to constantly eat them as much as she would love that. The same is usually true for reasonably priced instant meals. It can feel like you're stuck whenever you're looking for something that's quick to cook, tasty, healthy, and cheap all at the same time. Well, unless you just choose Fight Ramen, this piece of content is sponsored by Vite Ramen. Vite Ramen is a delicious American-crafted source of protein and nutrients that takes minutes to make without sacrificing taste. This includes their classic packages that make it easy to add protein and other ingredients of your choice while it cooks, and also their Ramen Go packages that offer a healthy, microwavable option for those who truly only have 15 minutes free for lunch, whether you're working from the office or you're working at home. With Fight Ramen, you'll never be too busy to eat healthy either way. So click the link in the description and use the offer code BROKENSILICON to save 10% off on a variety of different products, including special bundles for Moore's Law is Dead fans, raw nudes if you want to make up your own recipes, Fight Go packages and other food products and cooking utensils and more. Whatever you'd prefer, using the offer code BROKENSILICON and even just clicking the link in the description really helps Moore's Law is Dead tremendously and it helps you save money on a tasty, quick-to-make lunch meal. Try Vite Ramen today. Um. Okay, well, kind of on this note then, Anilkis writes in, uh, Anilkis, and then in parentheses, Mike. Well, let's just lead with Mike from now on, my friend. <laughs> but he says, Hi, guys. I would like to know your thoughts on memory speeds and stability of AMD versus Intel. AMD seems to target one speed to tune around with a lot of their generations, whereas Intel leaves the doors open to whatever people want to throw at it. Hmm. I don't think that's necessarily true. I think it's more that Intel has a much higher ceiling 
than AMD mm. typically does. So they both leave the door open. They both have an official memory specification. I think it's 5,200 for Zen 4, 5,600 for Raptor Lake. I hope mm-hmm. I'm getting that right, but I largely ignore those specifications because we never recommend memory at either of those frequencies for those platforms. But basically, 6,000 is pretty well, 5,600 to 6,000 is the sweet spot for Zen 4. Um, and 6,000 being basically the upper limit that most of the CPUs can handle anyway. Um, some of the better CPUs will do 6,200 to 6,400, but you can't go beyond that. And it's not a motherboard mm-hmm. limitation. It's an IMC limitation. So it's basically, you just hit the limit of what the CPU can do much faster on AMD, um, like physically boot. Whereas Intel, you can boot at much higher speeds, but it's not necessarily stable. Uh, and yeah, so you know, with Buildzoid recently, there's been a whole lot of drama about this DDR5-8000 that for some reason is the holy grail of memory speeds and for some reason makes Intel just unbelievably fast, which is absolutely not the case, but okay. Uh, like tuned, you know, 7200 is not that much slower than tuned 8000 or, or 7400 or even. I think 7600 most CPUs will do on most motherboards. Uh, but anyway, I don't know. Am I going too off topic here? <laughs> no, not at all. I mean, no, I think, uh, well, I'd, I'd say two things. Yeah, I find the whole memory speed argument thing that really only seems to come from a very vocal group in comment sections, mm-hmm. a bit odd because it's okay. I guess I, all right. So if you get an i9, you're probably willing to get nice RAM. I don't disagree, but also mm-hmm. you, you've, you're, you're basically saying because I spend 200 extra, I spend 400 extra. And then I just back up and go, well, you're just spending 400 extra for five to 10% more performance, no matter how you dice it my man so i i don't i don't think that's a justification to spend more because you're spending more you're just spending more more and this is still cheaper so i don't i don't get the argument you know yeah it's like a nerd equivalent of a measuring contest uh it it doesn't make sense for most people and i've always found like this goes this goes back on both sides till the dawn of time with tech stuff. Like I remember when we used to review AMD FX processors and the AMD crowd would be up in arms saying, <laughs> you've got to overclock this and you've got to do this and you've got to do that and then they're good. It's like, well, if you have to do all of that and then they're good, they're, yeah. they're clearly not good. And AMD is clearly not doing all of those steps because most of the silicon can't achieve it or you're running at really high power usage or whatever the reason may be. But if there was three steps required in the BIOS to make FX processors not garbage, I'm pretty sure AMD's engineers would have been like, oh, we need to do those three steps to there make them not garbage. There would have been a lot of marketing around that, um, yeah. But yeah, in the simplest way I can put it, it's just an overclocking Zarm race. Like, you can do these tweaks and tunes to a 1300K, and then you can do this stuff to the equivalent AMD processor. And I don't care if one ends up being 3% faster at the end of the day. It's like, right and on average what game do you play because you might find that the game you play the most it actually lost by 20 exactly which which is why you know the the 750x 3d on average comes out i don't even know what it was in our testing a few percent faster than the 1300 cam like yeah they're the same it's not like our thumbnails like amd dominates and wins by amd because they're three percent faster in benchmarks overall it's like much the same, guys. I'm, I'm sorry. I know a lot of people want to argue about which one's better, but it's just like, I don't care. They're, they're much the same. So that's that's where I'm with that one. Well, you know, it's a hobby, so there's a certain fun to it. Don't get me wrong. But I also go, uh, I'm finally getting close to uh, having a Zen 5 leak ready. And it's like, yeah, this is going to look really moot in about 
<laughs> like eight, 10 months, guys. I We're yeah. arguing over if you're going to use 400 watts on your CPU to get an extra 5%. It, that's mm. It's not going to be in the lead by 5% in about 12 months. You're, you're, you're going through a lot of effort to get that extra 5%. And these yeah. companies keep making new products, so. Yeah, and... Yeah, then you run into the whole questionable stability thing. Like, is it actually stable? Will you have it crash when you're gaming? And do you notice those extra 10 frames when you're already doing 200 frames per second? Obvious answer mm-hmm. is no. Um, you know, if you can always get extra performance, that's great. But if it's at the risk of having it blue screen mid game, it's like, nope, don't, not interested. Don't want that. Um, CRCV writes in and says, there have been more and more rumors about hybrid architectures for Zen 5 recently and previously, if I recall correctly. Do you think there will be any issues with scheduling for AMD or do you think Intel managed to take one for the team and improve everybody's future by releasing Big Little first? Uh, well, if they do go that way, and obviously I have no personal information about that, so I'm just entertaining the question. Uh... AMD and scheduling. Well, it's, it doesn't usually go smoothly, does it? I, I think there'd definitely be teething issues. Whether they get on top of them, uh, you know, weeks or months after release is another question. But I, I think they can make it work. It's just, yeah, early. whether you want to be an early adopter and deal with that. But I mean, yeah, very early on, we talked about uh, Elder Lake and mm-hmm. you know the need for that to succeed. And I mean... Out of like from a company like Intel, that wasn't exactly smooth uh, to begin with. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the bigger issues, I believe, off the top of my head was just games not loading, not functioning because of the, the yeah, DRM core. booting you out because they thought yeah, you had some right. hacked system. Yeah, couldn't work out what CPU it was. And that's a pretty, well, should have been a pretty simple update, but it still took a few months to get that all sorted out. Um, so there was teething issues there. Uh, and I, I wouldn't say games not loading at all is a minor thing. Kind of annoying if you buy a CPU and then you can't play your favorite game for two months. So yeah. anyway, I, I expect that they'll get it working, but I, I, I'd pay attention to reviews. If reviewers are like, wow, this thing's really annoying, there's this problem and that problem, I'd probably hold off, wait till we get a few uh, GSA code updates, and then if, they're all, uh, if, you, if you're hearing a lot of good stuff, then you know, maybe it would be time then to, to jump on. You know, yeah. I, I actually think the first big little AMD CPU we're going to see, and some people would argue it's the 7950X3D, it's, it's, I don't think that's really the exact same thing. <laughs> um, I I would say I've heard about, what is it? It's I called it Little Phoenix. I think the official name is Phoenix 2. So now it's been delayed, but in a month, I guess, we'll see Phoenix launch with eight Zen 4 cores. Um, supposedly Little Phoenix has two Zen 4 cores and four Zen 4C cores. Now that's the server little Zen 4 architecture that was announced for Bergamo. Mm-hmm. Um, my understanding is it's actually the same IPC. They just cut the cache in half and it only hits like 3.2 gigahertz. It doesn't need as much cache to scale. It's just, you know, some CPU engineers would hate the way I'm putting this, but whatever, this is what people understand. It doesn't need as much cash to keep its keep its IPC at five gigahertz. Like we've seen Zen two, when you overclock it, it really doesn't really gain any performance past like four point like eight mm-hmm. gigahertz or something. So that's the first one I think AMD is going to have, and I don't know that it's going to have the same issues Intel would because if we accept this 
hypothetical that what it is is two Zen 4 cores and four little Zen 4 cores. But in reality, it's just like the difference between Zen 2 and Renoir's cores, really. Mm-hmm. It just has less L3 cache. So in a lot of things, it's the same IPC. I don't think that would run into any of the failing to load games issues. I just think it might pick the wrong core and it'll be at three gigahertz instead of five sometimes. Although, yeah. haven't they already solved that? Aren't they already dynamically switching between five gigahertz and four gigahertz cores since Zen 2? Yeah, well, I mean, AMDs should be a bit more, uh, a bit simpler approach given that it would be in a different CCD, I imagine. Um, and I imagine the reason why they don't need as much cash is because for the workloads where they would be really good at accelerating, they can keep the cores fed with having less of a buffer. Um, I think it's probably what would be happening there. But yeah, I think the way that they would configure those CPUs would be easier to identify certain groups for certain tasks uh, and essentially what they're doing mm-hmm. with the 7950X 3D. So I don't think there'd be anything radically different there. Uh, and we've seen like with e-cores, for example, obviously they're useless for gaming and I don't think they're ever going to be useful for gaming. Uh, people argue that they will be, but I don't think so. Uh, and then certain Could you workloads, expound on that a little bit? Because that was an interesting conclusion you came to, I think, in a video like a year ago. Um, well, basically, they're just so much slower and they, they can't be utilized in the same way that the P-cores can. So the second you have to leverage an e-core, it's like the lowest common denominator or the, the the weakest link in the chain is probably a better analogy that everything has to slow down till they have done their bit. So unless a game is designed in a way that these background cores can somehow process some of the game that keeps things running smoothly and the P cores do all the heavy lifting, some some sort of disconnect there, if, if that can happen. There's some then, kind of latency penalty. I think you basically found that it doesn't matter. The fact that it now needs to go to the little cores, it just drops the frame rate if it's yeah, well, required think, to run the game. Yeah, if you clock one of your cores down, like your let's say your primary core, the, the, the game identifies as your primary core, and you clock it to half speed, your game just slows down like to half speed, despite the fact that the other cores are blistering fast. The, the primary thread that compacts everything, it's like, well... I'm taking my time doing this, so your frame rate just tanks right down. So as soon as you introduce one of those other slower cores, unless it's unless it's doing something that doesn't have to be done in real time with everything else, uh, mm. so a game would have to be made radically different to how it is now. I mean, considering we can't get games to really scale on cores that well anyway, um, I, I don't see that ever happening. So it'd be the same thing with the AMD CPU. You should have a CCD like the 7950X 3D that's blistering fast for gaming. And then the other CCDs would be activated, let's say, for productivity workloads where they make sense. So you wouldn't be using them for Photoshop or After Effects or anything like that that uses one to two cores. That would, again, probably be done on, let's say, the Vcache CCD or, or if there's a CCD with big cores that clock even higher, maybe that one would be activated. Uh, and the other ones would do nothing. But Cinebench, which is a very, um, well, it's... it's <laughs> An E-Core ASIC. <laughs> yeah, they, they they can be utilized really well there because they just do their bit. And then once that bit's done, it's done. And then they, they render the whole image together and you're not necessarily waiting on them. They're just helping to accelerate the overall workload. It's very, well, I guess, sequential is probably a good way of putting it. So they're useful there, but games definitely aren't that. Uh, and there's, mm-hmm. again, there's, there's so with games as well, there's so many things that can be the bottleneck, whether it is cash, um, which we've seen in some games where like the core utilization, I know that's a, a crude metric, but core utilization can be really low 
but the CPU is still the primary bottleneck because it could be something to do with you know DRAM, could be something to do with the local cache. There's some sort of bottleneck there that isn't necessarily mm-hmm. the cores themselves, and that's where you know e cores and stuff just become a nightmare because they don't have nearly the resources that the big cores do. So anyway, uh, well yeah, but. You know, the interesting thing is Little Phoenix is monolithic, though. It's an APU, so right. I don't know when we'll get to test it because it's going to be in, like, cheap laptops or something. But yeah, there well, is, hypothetically, it might be an interesting test because I don't, I just, if they're monolithic, I don't see why it wouldn't just be, like, assigning it based on clock speed. Anyways, probably. Um, and I imagine even if they do do like a big little one big CCD, little CCD, I imagine that is what they'll do with Send 5, that it would still be like the same latency penalty that you hit by using more than eight cores on like a, you know, 5950X or something. But I mean, I don't know. We're going to have to see. I think, yeah, I think you said it though. Like it's probably less, less potholes to run into for AMD. But they do like running into potholes with scheduling, it seems. So I can't imagine yep. it won't be completely issue-free. No, no. Like I said, I would um, wait for reviews, see what they have to say, and, and go from there. But I, I, I wouldn't want to be an early adopter if, if there is some sort of radical change. All right. So I want to switch gears back to graphics cards here, if we can. Mm-hmm. Um, let me see. Dr. Forbin writes in and says, I'm a Patreon of both your channels, so hopefully this question isn't the same old thing that I've asked before. (laughs) NVIDIA has a stranglehold on the GPU market, it seems. They set the pace and the pricing. Many creators, though, despite saying they sometimes despise the way NVIDIA acts, use their market leadership to crush, of using their market share to crush the competition and raise pricing, personally just end up owning their products and endorsing them anyways. I do not subscribe to the belief that Intel or Radeon could ever cause a paradigm shift in the GPU arena at this point. What do you think then could make NVIDIA change its evil ways? Well, I mean, I'm using an NVIDIA GPU right now, so I don't know if he's talking about me, but um, I don't, and I don't know what I'd say that they're evil ways, but I, I guess, do you think AMD can get into a, I shouldn't say can, are likely to get into a position in the next couple of generations where they may force some change in the pricing per tier? Uh, well, I should cautiously answer this, but I kind of want to say no, because I don't, I don't see how. I don't see what they're doing now that paves the way for them to achieve that tomorrow in the future. There's no evidence for why they could do that. Uh, so unfortunately I don't see how things improve or change. Would you agree? Yeah. I mean, it's, it becomes harder and harder. And I remember, <laughs> I think this was years ago. I had Jim from Adore TV on and he said, do you think that's what's going to happen? Or are we just hoping that's what's going to happen <laughs> and trying to will it into existence? Cause it kind of seems like it's done, man. Um, you know, I, I don't see anything that does a full seismic shift that feels even remotely permanent soon, but I mm-hmm. think I can see hallways to small things that could happen. Like the way NVIDIA's done their Lovelace pricing is so high that I just, unless they surprise us in the 4060s, $300, 
I don't see how AMD's Navi 33 GPU isn't going to put pressure on them, especially in laptop. I mean, you I saw on Twitter you didn't even bother to review the 4070 laptops. Mm. Like there's the Nvidia's so on another planet when it comes to how they're pricing those. And we've seen in early reviews, uh, one was on Jared's tech for the 7600S that's cut down Navi 33. And at 95 watts, despite having a small six nanometer die that's about the same size as the laptop 4070, uh, it ended up performing like a 3070 Ti. Mm. And that brings to question, it brings to mind a lot of questions about, well, what went wrong with your flagship if this is how well this little one performs? But at the same time, it's like, yeah, so I don't know. It seems like they might have a six nanometer die that's the same die size as what they're going to use for the 4060 Ti and desktop. And it seems like it might be the same performance. So I don't see why that couldn't be 300 or 350 and force some change there, especially because from what I'm hearing, NVIDIA is offloading a lot of their high-end Lovelace to data center right now. They're just avoiding the gamer market. Whereas mm-hmm. AMD can't do that. They don't want them in data center. So I feel like AMD bought up this capacity and has to sell them to gamers because they're not seen as competitive there. So, But I don't think that's going to fix the whole market. But that's an example I can give of. I have specifics as to why I think it might get better on that one. Yeah, well, you can only hope. But so far, the evidence has been, well, if AMD could make a 4090 competitor, they would just price it as a 4090 competitor. 4080 competitor priced as a 4080 competitor, which isn't going to win you market share. Like the reason Ryzen, like I mean, if we if we go back to early 2017, <laughs> and I said to you over the next few years, can you see AMD outselling Intel for new desktop parts? You just mm. laugh at me. Like I would have laughed yeah. at me. I couldn't even sit up with a straight face. And yet that happened. I mean, I know there are differences there, like you know, relying on well, Intel. It, you know, having their own fab and having the issues they had there where, you know, AMD had TSMC, that's not the same situation with NVIDIA, but they can still cut their margins. They, they can still be way more competitive there and claw back market share. They just don't seem willing to do it, which I think has probably been one of the more surprising things. I really thought once they mm-hmm. had a very competitive product with the what they've achieved with the CPUs and the position they're in, they would have gone after it more aggressively. I certainly got it with RDNA too, why that wasn't the case, because you know, yeah. product shortages, it just didn't make sense to do that then. And it kind of seemed like an opportunity missed, really. Uh, that was certainly my opinion and Tim's opinion on that one. But now with RDNA 3, I don't know, it's just, it either costs a lot more than we thought it did, or I don't know. I, 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 why the hell wasn't the 700 XT $700 to begin with? Like, I... <laughs> I, you know, what I heard is they thought it would be popular at that price, and I don't know what they were smoking to yeah, think that, to, that's what I heard. To? I know. Yeah. Well, it's, and I guess I have to be careful how I say this, but I in meetings, yeah, uh, they thought they, they, want to, they wanted to take market share with RDNA A3 before the launch. I, I, yeah, I, well, I'll I, leave it at that. It seems like the, they did, they, I, but then I don't know why their actions were what they were. Well, to stay on the subject, but give a little bit of insight into how things sort of work behind the scenes to a bit of a different conversation what we've been having. So, you know, we often get conf- uh, mm-hmm. called, let's say, AMD fans. For some reason, our content is believed to be pro-AMD and we have an AMD bias. Of course, this is coming from people of members of like R slash Intel, R slash NVIDIA. I think if you watch 
a lot of our content, you'll see that we put AMD's feature the coals just as much as any other brand and mm-hmm. give them a hard time. In fact, we've we've really their Radeon brand in particular, we've given a very hard time over the last few years. There's been very few, I would say, truly positive reviews come from us based on Radeon yeah. products. I, I, we've certainly been fans of Ryzen, but I think rightfully so. But anyway, I, I'd say out of all the brands, AMD rings us with the most nerves, I would say, n- nervous uh, whenever there's a big product release coming out, especially Radeon stuff, uh, just to try and suss out, you know, what we're going to say, what our thoughts and feelings are about it, uh, and see if they can sort of help persuade us into a slightly uh, more favorable position, let's say. I'm not saying they, there's certainly no money or no, anything I- crazy like that, but they're like, they try to, put forward their argument that, oh, you know, this isn't that bad. And if you considered this and if you considered that, which is what they should do, that's their job is to try and get the, the most positive feedback and, and the best reviews possible. But obviously we have none of it because we form our own opinions. And yeah, with products like the, 70, the RDA3, they were very concerned about how that was going to be perceived by us. And probably more than a week before launch, they were asking like, what did we think about this price and stuff? And I was flat out telling them, like I was not yeah. holding back. And they were, uh, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't really know. Um, they sort of seemed a bit shocked and surprised by my opinion of it. Uh, and I think they were a bit taken back. I think they thought it was going to be much more positively received from us. I'm, I don't know why. Uh, maybe because we liked the 5700 XT so much, which is basically the only Radeon GPU I think I've actually liked in the last three years. Well, AMD, you launched the 5700 XT at $400, and the 7900 XT is, I don't know, 2.2 times better, 2.3 times better, and it's about that much more expensive after How many four years, years or something. <laughs> like, exactly. Yeah, maybe that's why, AMD. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, they knew our opinion I wouldn't say well ahead of time, but ahead of time, they knew our opinion and we were telling them exactly what it should cost. And they were a bit surprised by that. Well, they were very surprised by that. Um, and then there was the whole argument about, you know, being a bit misleading with their efficiency claims, and their performance mm-hmm. claims and stuff like that. And we sort of had a, a very long argument about that. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I told them and I told them how the review was going to go. It was, it should have been very little surprise when they saw my review uh, and yeah, especially the 7900 XT, we, we ripped that one to shreds, but you know, the 700 XTX, I was like, yeah, it's an okay product. It's like, it's, it's a 4080 alternative, but it doesn't blow the 48 out of the water. Like the 4080, the 4080 was really weird because we reviewed that. And a lot of reviewers, at least that I watched canned it, just said it was ridiculous for $1,200. Um, not a great value product. So they sort of, it, I think, it, I don't know, what was you, would you say it mostly got negative reviews or was that not your takeaway from the 4080 reviews i gave it a bad review but i think again so again this is going to be colored by my opinion my opinion is it's it sucks so Mm -hmm. i think it should Mm -hmm. i thought it got more mixed reviews than i expected i thought some people canned it but a lot of big websites didn't and then some of them even changed their thumbnails after the release they realized oh this 
I won't say which ones because I don't, you know, but, you know, there's an argument they did it because they realized they were being too positive in it. But I don't I don't know. Yeah, some of them, some really big YouTube channels changed the title and thumbnail to kind right. of add a slightly more negative focus in an attempt at the last Right. So, I can't, I don't remember what my thumbnail and title was, to be honest, but my actual conclusion of the review was basically, you know, this seems a bit underwhelming, but also we don't really know how to conclude without seeing the competitor, which is you know, launching very soon. Mm-hmm. So our advice is do nothing now, which would be our advice anyway. Wait for the 7900 XTX, see if that's any good. And if that sucks, well, then, yeah, obviously, I guess 4080. But if that's brilliant, then you'd probably ignore the 4080. So we sort of left it an open-ended conclusion to this to be continued. Uh, so my and- brain remembers you were sl- generally negative, but not... There were no pitchforks or tiki torches. Yeah, this looks underwhelming, but I, I, I can't give you a final conclusion yet because we haven't seen the competition. And the competition came along, and I'm like, oh, okay, well, I don't hate this, but I don't really love it either. It's like, it's, you know, it's a 4080 competitor. It's cheaper. It should be cheaper because it lacks these features and whatever. But you know, if you only care about rasterization performance, um, don't care about upscaling too much, then yeah, this is a fine product, probably a viable alternative. But that that was sort of it. Like it was very lukewarm, but it just meant that my 4080 mm-hmm. review was lukewarm as well. But if you, I found it weird that a lot of people canned the 4080, but then said the 700 XTX was brilliant because it was $200 cheaper. And I'm like, I get that, but the NVIDIA. Yeah, I wouldn't have said brilliant. I, I actually haven't tested it yet. Um, you know, because I'm a secret NVIDIA fanboy. Um, but uh I I I I'd say good, but not shockingly good. I, I that's mean, my opinion. You, you know, you could only I would I would be cautious to say good. I would say good relative to the RTX forty eighty. That's how I would mm-hmm. put it. But I, I wouldn't say it was good compared to like the previous generation. It wasn't an exciting step no. forward. So it's like, well, with the forty eighty being a thing, it's like yeah, I guess it's good relative to that. It's, it's good enough, I, I guess. But yeah. Well, you know, it's selling really well, though. Like, really yeah. well. Like, retailers I talk to say they can't keep it in stock. And in fact, the AIB models sell up to $1,100, $1,200 well, or more. That's that's where this conversation, in some ways, it's almost like, do we just give up? Is it pointless? Because we're not, <laughs> we're not going to see good quality $500 GPUs ever again, it, it would seem. It seems like AMD and NVIDIA are on the same page. So is, is me just moaning about graphics card prices a waste of my time and I just accept that it is and I just show you the the data and we move on? Uh, I don't know, because people are buying them. And like, same thing with the 4090, that that thing sold like hotcakes, so... Right, but they're not buying the 4080. They they weren't buying the 7900 XT. So what this tells me is... I Look, guys, I, we're not going back to uh, 7970 pricing anytime soon. But things do cost more, and I think it's obvious people will reject them if they're completely absurd. Like that, I actually look at it in a more optimistic way. Like I thought the XTX wasn't going to sell that well because I don't know. I just assume Nvidia is going to outsell them no matter what. But the forty ninety costs. We act like it's nothing. It's sixty percent more money than the XTX for like twenty percent more performance. Let's say maybe twenty five, and. 
Okay, but so if AMD has 30% better price performance, it seems like people will buy it. Uh But the second AMD tries to have like 10% better, nah, not enough to people. So I don't know, from my perspective, if AMD would have charged 700 for the, well, let's be honest, it should have been the 7800 XT. um, And then they would have just more accordingly kept everything where it was. I think it would have outsold like i think we'd be having an entirely different conversation and frankly i think it's the conversation we may be forced to have in half a year because that thing is not going to sell until they get it below 800 dollars. pretty clearly yeah well i mean if they are happy with sales figures then nothing's changing so no matter how much whinging we do about it that's just the price because we don't dictate prices um mm-hmm. and nvidia set the prices and then if they what dictates that they stay there is if people buy them so uh, yeah, there's a lot of people. I guess this was inevitable, really. Uh, I talked about this back with the mm. RTX 3080 release. Um, some people were whinging about it because my RTX 3080 review was very positive. Yeah, look, it only has 10 gigabytes of VRAM, but that was kind of enough at the time. I I did note that that could be become a problem in the future, but I liked the product. I thought for $700, that was really good. It, it was a cool product. Um, I was very impressed with it. I, I've got a fun place to bring this next, though. Kinahoon25 writes and it says, Hey, what are your thoughts on Roger Kadori leaving Intel? I hope this question was submitted on time. See, I think he barely mm. made the cutoff from when I was taking questions. And so, and of it's course, this is just a way to spring. Yeah, it's just a way to spring into talking about Intel Arc a bit. Um, you know, since I don't even know where to start, because I think the last time you were on was early was was late 2021 and so i if i had to guess back then we were talking about how arc's gonna launch in three months Mm. (laughs) um and then it didn't launch until the same day as the 4090 (laughs) unless you count the a380 of course and that one laptop in korea but has arc turned out if you try to remember back to late 2021 last we talked has it turned out better worse or about what you expected overall I honestly don't even know. I, I, I honestly didn't have any expectations. It, when, it, when it turned out to sort of be very buggy and have lots of issues and the performance be a bit underwhelming, I'm like, yeah, that's, I guess that's kind of what I was expecting. I was, I was expecting it to be pretty rough. Uh, I mean, we've seen plenty of graphics-related performance claims and promises from Intel over the mm. decades, and they've never panned out very well. So... Yeah, I, I guess it sort of went as well as I thought it could. I think what's probably impressed me and exceeded my expectations is how rapidly AMD, uh, sorry, uh, how rapidly Intel's kicked into gear their drivers. Like they've fixed a lot of the problems they were having. They've improved the shocking DirectX 9 performance. And when new games come out, they seem to be jumping right on those. Like I get emails every week from their their team with, you know, we've got a new driver that, addresses this and solves that and improves this. So they're being very proactive with the drivers. So that's a positive at least. And they've well, got yeah, the cupboards I mean, to a pretty good place and the, the price is better now. When I first tested the A770, so I did actually get uh, I did actually get a limited edition around launch time. It just, the review kept getting pushed back and pushed back because it takes time and it just wasn't a priority. And frankly, the early testing I did, I couldn't open up the, uh, 
what is it, the art control center without it crashing. Yeah. And one out of three games, honestly, I couldn't play. Like it just didn't work. Um, maybe, maybe, you know, it was really one out of five. I don't know, but it wasn't like 5% of them. It was, there were multiple games. Um, and then I tested it pretty extensively a month ago and well, maybe not a month, but a few weeks ago, like the latest drivers. And it seems to work <laughs> is what I can say for the most part. But, you know, in Battlefield 2042, it's the performance of a 6500 XT8 gigabyte. And I don't know, there, there's still a lot of games where this card with a die size that's the same as a 3070 Ti mm. is losing. I had a 6700 around for a while. Is this the same performance? In 4K, the ARC card wins by like 5%. In 1440p, the AMD card wins by 5%. In 1080p, the ARC card loses by a lot, actually, still. And I'm like, well, this one's 320. This one uses a third less energy. This one doesn't run Battlefield like integrated graphics. Um, yeah, I don't see it. <laughs> I think the stability is there. So I think you can find the right price now. There, yeah. There's a conversation. Yeah, Before, yeah, yeah. there just isn't one. It just didn't work. Yeah. Um, but I still look at, and you found this in your testing, and so did I, that the performance has been improved maybe 5% on average. The performance really hasn't improved, and they're still basically selling a 6600 XT that uses double the energy for more money. And I, I just sit here and I go, I don't, I don't see like, it doesn't seem like we're halfway there to me. Mm -hmm. we're, and we're comparing this to low-end cards from last gen. Mm -hmm. I mean, like I said, my, if I had any expectations, they were low. And I think, I think the way it's panned out, almost a best-case scenario for what I would have predicted they could achieve. Uh, I was much more optimistic for a little bit there. Not anymore. <laughs> no, well... I mean, I've seen multiple releases, graphics related, whether it be integrated or whatever, from Intel where they're promising big changes, improvements, this and that, and they just it never came, never happened. So, and, and it's a challenging thing. It's tough to get to get all this stuff working and such a huge range of games and different APIs, different operating systems. I was, it's a tall order. So the fact that it worked as well as it did. I guess that's probably why I wasn't as critical of it as maybe you could have mm -hmm. been. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think what they've done to get it to where it is now is pretty good because yeah, the performance overall hasn't improved massively, but again, it depends on what you were testing. Like if you're mostly testing older games and the performance improvements have been just amazing, like 120% or something we were seeing in CSGO. So that's pretty good. There's, yeah, um, it still loses too. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm not saying I would recommend it over a Radeon or, well, there's really no GeForce equivalent at that price, yeah, is there? They, they really don't exist below 300. Yeah, so, you know, if you said to me, should I buy, you know, an A770 or a 6650 XT, you know, I'd probably go over the differences with you, but I'd probably, uh, the 6650 XT is probably a safer bet. Like it's you're not mm -hmm. you're not going to risk running into the problems that you will with the Intel Arc GPU. Uh, well, let, yeah. let me ask you this question though. Woody Chang writes in and says, "Hi Tom and Steve. In regards to Arc, 
What do you think Battle Mage needs to be able to achieve to convince Pat to keep this thing going? Assuming that all Intel can do is a Battle Mage GPU and drive that is mid range to low end and drivers aren't an issue. Is there a minimum? Perf- okay, here's the. Is there a minimum performance class or feature set that you think Battle Mage needs to hit to earn a to earn a stay of execution? Um, I mean, so it, it launches second half of next year, and I think we'll see. But I, I, it seems to me like at best we're looking at something that's you know a low end die. Like, what do you think it's going to have to achieve for people to do a double take at that point? But really all it has to achieve, and this has been a case for AMD in previous generations, is it just has to be competitive somewhere. It has to be competitive to the point where you would recommend it, uh, and hopefully a strong recommendation. And then at that price point performance tier, it has to be profitable. So I think, you know, because AMD's proven where they, they've been, some generations they've been nowhere. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, they've been competing basically. Yeah, like entry level stuff, or just just above entry level, uh, but they've they've done it well, and you know you've it's been like I recommend Nvidia, I recommend Nvidia, I recommend Nvidia, I recommend Nvidia, I recommend AMD <laughs> when they enter the market, and so if it's a situation where you could actually genuinely recommend Intel at one of those performance tiers, and Intel's making money doing it, then I mean AMD's proven that's all it takes. I don't know if that's all it will take for Intel, but that's some success. It's better than just being in the market, but not recommended or even being viable at any sort of price point slash performance tier. Yeah, it's funny because um, a video dropped, like kind of going over what I expected of Celestial and stuff. Well, we've been talking and a conclusion I make near the end of the video is I don't think the issue with Alchemist is whether it's a 3060 or a 3070 in performance. The issue is it didn't have the drivers it has now and it didn't launch a year ago. If it launched even for four hundred dollars as a thirty sixty competitor in the beginning of twenty twenty two, that would have been great, and it would have made some name for itself. It wouldn't have been fantastic, but people would have remembered that the market needed supply, and then they showed up. Mm. And that's that's my answer for Battle Mage. It's got to come out on time and work, <laughs> like, and then it has to be at least good enough where they can make like a ten percent profit at whatever they're able to sell it for. And, and that's just not what's happened this time. And mm-hmm. I, I don't, I'm not really actually that concerned about if it's a 4060, 4070, or frankly, I'm, by then I'll probably be talking about the 5060. What matters is, is it $300 and better than the NVIDIA card and actually out when it matters? Or does it just launch when there's so many oversupplied cards that we really couldn't care less? You know, I really think timing has been the bigger issue here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, if it had turned up during the cryptocurrency boom when all you know, gamers wanted to buy basically anything, you're looking at paying like five, six, seven hundred dollars on an RX five eighty or whatever. If it had a launch, then that yeah, timing's everything. So that would have been a huge success, and it would have put them, you would imagine, in a better position mm-hmm. for the next generation. But yeah, didn't happen sadly. So mm. well. Okay, I've got a couple more random reader mails here that are really specifically targeted at you that I'm hoping we can get to before we let you go. Trogdor writes in and he says, Hi, Steve, big fan of the channel. I really appreciate all the time and thought you put into producing the best data out there. 
What are your thoughts on other channels becoming more normative in their testing methods? Fewer games and configurations tested, more emphasis on how the gaming experience feels. Data that can't really be replicated by other people empirically to check their testing. As a consumer, I'm starting to find this very frustrating to see bad testing, but I don't know, what's your opinion as a reviewer seeing this trend? Uh, I personally haven't really seen that trend, but having said that, I don't really pay attention to everyone on the YouTube platform. There's endless tech channels. Um, I mean, generally, my opinion is, unless it's not deliberately misleading or completely flawed, that more data is always welcome. There's different ways of mm -hmm. going about things. And sometimes when there's a experience that you know, is disconnected from the data, but it's very much, you know, I'm noticing better input or something, there's usually a different way of looking into that and discovering if it's a thing. But yeah, if, you, if you're sort of claiming that there's something that you're not seeing in the data and you're after years of not able to show that, then that's a bit tough. But yeah, generally more the merrier. Uh, and it's like the do you research type meme. It's like, but in all seriousness, there's so many sources out there. So, you know, work out which ones you like. If you don't like the way we go about things, if you don't like our opinions, then, you know, maybe don't watch us. But if you do, we're here. Um, and there's you know, countless other quality review outlets that, you know, do things their way. So if that if that jives with you, if you prefer that, then then go with it. But otherwise, yeah. But I mean, there's nothing you can do about it anyway. Like if you don't like someone the way they test or whatever, it's like, uh, just, you know, don't watch them. <laughs> so. I mean, I'm going to be honest. Like my answer to Trogdor is it's a lot of work, you know, <laughs> especially when you're testing multiple graphics architectures mm -hmm. and like, you have to just keep wiping drivers and reinstalling things over and over. And I mean, there's a reason I'll benchmark like five or six games that I think gets to a close average of what bigger websites get to. And I think that's important. I don't think any review should not have at least a handful of quantitative tests because otherwise I don't, frankly, how do you not know it's even working correctly? I mean, mm -hmm. a lot of things have extra performance now. Um, but, you know, as long as you get a certain amount of quantitative testing that sets a baseline and seems to match what the bigger channels are doing, then I think that there's no reason to watch smaller channels' reviews. Com this sounds really harsh, but compared to yours, because unless they're doing 50 benchmarks, unless they have several test systems to double-check data, the only way to really stand out is to do it a different way. I would just hope it's not only qualitative testing, because mm -hmm. then it's, well, I might, I mean, how do you even know I have this graphics card? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, I appreciate... Um, there's plenty of smaller channels that I really appreciate them doing what they do because more often than not, it does back up our data. And, you know, people can say, oh, you know, your day one review is not like anyone else's. You know, your your data is you know, not representative of anyone else's. I'm like, well, you know, here's this review, here's this review, here's this review, and they all got the same data. So I'm not sure what you're talking about. Um, so, yeah, I, I always appreciate that. But, yeah, look, it's the thing with YouTube is there's no barrier to entry. Anyone listening to this mm -hmm. can start a YouTube tech channel like right now. You've got a computer, got access to the internet, you can start you can start a YouTube tech channel. And so that's both, I suppose, a good and a bad thing with the YouTube platform. But it's always been that way anyway. Anyone could start a website and start reviewing stuff. Um, it's just about getting noticed. And the way you get noticed is by doing good testing. Um, so... Um. No, but on the same note of testing, Florida Man writes in, 
And he says, what would be the challenges involved in benchmarking VR on PC? I don't really see anyone attempting it on any major channels, and I couldn't say which GPU or CPU vendor works with VR. I just, I don't know, but I'd like to know and have it tested at least semi-regularly. Yeah, I don't know. I, most VR games aren't that hard to run, so anytime I've messed with the Quest 2, like when I mostly played with it actually at a 3070, and I was like, eh, everything seems to run fine. Mm-hmm. But I, it's true. I don't see a lot of VR testing. Like, is there is that something you think you'll start doing eventually, or or why, no, or do you it, think it's unnecessary? Oh, I wouldn't say it's unnecessary. I mean, it is for me personally because I don't really care for VR in the slightest. Um, yeah, it just, I just I don't enjoy VR gaming. It's not something I would ever do. Uh, and we see very, very few requests for VR benchmarks. So unless, mm. unless you know, there's an overwhelming amount of demand for something, we're not going to go do something that we don't do ourselves and enjoy. I mean, the whole reason we... The whole reason I review CPUs, GPUs, and that is because I'm into multiplayer gaming and I've always wanted to know like what's what's the best setup for playing games and getting more frames and doing that sort of stuff. Uh, I don't care too much about monitors, for example, which sounds funny because we've mm-hmm. got Tim, but that's... And I, and I should correct that. I do care deeply about monitors, but I don't care too much about doing a whole lot of monitor re- uh, research. Generally, I allocate quite a large budget to a monitor. I've always had a top-tier monitor, so I generally buy a very high-quality monitor and keep that for five-plus years. It's not something I upgrade mm-hmm. often. If you Sometimes you go a decade with a really good monitor. Um, so I would never review monitors personally because I, I buy a good one. Um, but obviously, a lot of people like Tim's monitor reviews, and Tim's very good at reviewing them, so I'm glad we have that content. Uh, yeah, I, I think what I would add to that is like reviewing stuff, especially in any remotely empirical way. It just takes so much effort that I think a channel's most likely to do it for the things they're really interested in because of how much effort it takes. And I'll speak for myself. You know, a reason I've never done an A770 review is number one, I thought it was going to be pretty negative and I don't like making negative videos when I can do all of this other stuff on the side that I think is going to be not only far more successful views wise, Mm -hmm. but also I'm enjoying doing it more. And so I would just guess that there's a lot of review channels that like you're reviewing what you're interested in and over time, what people have been following to review. I don't know. I, I bet you agree with me. Like, even if you don't like VR, you, there probably should be more VR benchmark channels, but there just needs to be someone who's passionate about who does it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I don't think there's any technical reasons for why there isn't. I mean, benchmarking VR is reasonably straightforward. It can definitely be done. But you've got to be passionate about it, which is what you're talking about. Like, I'm not passionate about VR. Um, I'm not passionate about overclocking. I used to be 20 years ago, mm-hmm. but for a long time, I've just found it to be a waste of time, diminishing returns, and it compromises stability just not worth it. That's why I don't do it. Um, there's no other reason. Like if I was very passionate about overclocking, we'd have a lot of great overclocking information. We'd spend a lot of time and energy doing it. Uh, yeah, it's the same thing with the, the monitors. Tim is passionate about monitors. So he puts a huge amount of effort into stuff like color science that pretty much melts most people's brains. And he loves all that kind of stuff and gets right into it. Um, and he's passionate about it. Like, yeah, we go to Computex and watching Tim talk to the engineers about monitors, they just Sometimes they do a double take. They're like, who is this guy? Because <laughs> he's just like asking them so many questions they don't even have the answer for. And he just he just loves it. Uh, but yeah, I couldn't think of anything much more boring than talking about monitors. So I just, yeah, 
I, I appreciate the information. I want to know what's a good monitor to buy for gaming. Mm-hmm. But beyond someone that, has to do it. I mean, someone cause... has to do it. But there, there are people that are like monitor enthusiasts. They like want to watch all the monitor content and find out what's going on. It's, it's not me. Um, but yeah, I, I am passionate about CPUs, GPUs, and even like motherboards now a bit. Um, largely thanks to bloody Buildzoid. <laughs> but yeah, so it's just if you're not focusing on what you're passionate about, the content's gonna suffer because of it. So mm-hmm. if you want to cover monitors, but you're not passionate about them, go get yourself a Tim. It's basically my advice. <laughs> I think, yeah, I think everyone could probably benefit from getting themselves a Tim. <laughs> well, yeah, he's pretty handy. <laughs> um, you know, the overclocking thing, I'm curious if you th- can relate to this. I think also it's not just that I, it's more of a waste of time, but I also find that like the more I've become a creator, the more stability issues <laughs> annoy me way more than they used to. professional thing, right? Yeah. Um, right. And it, so it's like, I'm not going to bother overclocking if there's even a 1% chance this render fails while it's running. Yeah, well, th- there's definitely a, a professional uh, aspect to it. But I will, oh, this sounds silly, but I would actually get more upset. Like if a render fails, you know, normally I allow myself many hours ahead of time. So if a mm-hmm. render fails, you know, if it was due to stability, that's a bit silly. But if a render fails, I can re-render it and you know go have another coffee. Not the end of the world. Um, if we're on a deadline, I miss the deadline. Well, that's kind of sucks. But I would typically speaking get a lot more upset if I'm in some sort of end game battle royale or something or RTS game and it blue screens. Like, yeah, it's me, true. I haven't thought about that. That really does really that, anger me <laughs> when that for, happens. For me, that's more devastating because. I've done all my work. I just want to relax and enjoy my... Pe- I want to actually enjoy computers. The whole thing we talk about all the time and um, play some games. And I, I do like to play a game. So the first two years of the channel, I didn't open a game. Uh, I was just focused on the channel. It really sucked not catching up with my friends, playing games with them. And I've been doing a lot of that over the last year. And it's been great. Uh, but yeah, there's nothing worse than... In, getting into a game with your mates and you're all working together and you've had such a great game and you're pushing for the end and then boom. <laughs> no one can hear you. You're stuck running on the spot. So I, I've had that happen to me once in the last year. It's because I was messing around with memory timings on my 1200KS system. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Stable memory timings two- can be, yeah. they seem stable for like a week and then it yep. crashes and then you go back and it's like, oh, well, that's it was the memory. It really wasn't stable. I thought it was for a week. It wasn't. Well, this was like three months I'd been streaming and not had a single blue screen. And then it happened. And I thought, okay, I'm not going to adjust anything because it's been fine for three months. That It could have been a software bug, something like that. And then it just started repeatedly doing it. Um, it, it crashed later yeah. that session. It went another week and then it crashed and then it just started crashing regularly. So I ended up just giving up. I was annoyed with it. I didn't even bother. Do you remember if when it was stable for three months, that was like the start of winter or something? It would have been over winter or like for in sure. winter? It would have been over winter. Um, I do have climate control in here, but... My, I do got, too, but I, I still find though during summer, it's like 1% warmer and maybe yeah. there's like an ambient spot in the PC that's warmer during summer. I've, I've like, I've sus- had that suspicion before because I've, I've had the exact same issue as you. Yeah. Months of stability, all of a sudden one month, it's not anymore. I've, I've had memory degrade as well to the point where it even struggles at stock timings from, you know, voltages mm-hmm. that were supposedly safe. But so anyway, uh, it's just not worth it. Like I was getting about, 5% more performance anyway, maybe 10%, maybe. 
but nothing that I needed anyway. I, I get like 300 frames per second as it is. So I don't mm. know. It's just, yeah, I like to mess around with them sometimes, but yeah. So anyway, that's why I don't bother now. Because I don't want to blue screen yeah, when if gaming. I'm doing it, it's probably, it's probably just for fun. Like I'm just <laughs> like, oh, I'm curious. What can this do? Yeah. And then I, 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 got, I, got, I used to end up setting it back. Yeah, that's right. I got sucked in. I, I built a new streaming PC and a game PC. Um, it's a pretty cool setup I've got up here. It looked really cool. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to mess around with this. So yeah, I regretted it. <laughs> but anyway. Well, so that's all of the subjects that I had here to discuss, unless there's anything else you wanted to discuss before I let you go. Uh, no. I mean, it was good catching up. We've been going for, I think, nearly two hours now. So probably long enough. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's great to catch up. We'll have to do it again before a year and a half, I suppose. <laughs> we'll try and Yeah, do it. I mean, I guess it was just long overdue. I think what happened is there was always this thing like, oh, I could talk to him after this launch. I could mm-hmm. talk to him after mm-hmm. this launch. And it was like, oh, well, there was nothing but nonstop launches for one and a half years. And then yep. now there's a small lull. And so here we are, I think. And yep. I suspect, I, th- I think there's, yeah, I think there's going to be some pretty interesting stuff by the end of the year. So I'm sure we'll have you on mm-hmm. again soon. But um, mm-hmm. please plug yourself. Tell everybody where they can find you. Arvor Unboxed. Um, usually find me over there benchmarking, <laughs> but, uh, no, the, uh, we've got, actually, I've got a video coming out tonight and it's quite interesting. It's, uh, Intel related, some Z790 stuff. I was pulling my hair out over the weekend. Uh, some games were 20% faster, 15 to 20% faster on a certain motherboard. Couldn't work out why uh, eventually got there. So that's in a, an interesting video that'll be going up tonight. So check that out on the Harbor Box channel. Other than that, well, there'll be a link in the description then, and uh, that should drop then, like right before this comes out. So perfect. Okay. Um, and otherwise, you know, thanks to everybody for listening. You know, thank you for you know, remember to subscribe to Moore's Law is Dead, Broken Silicon on your favorite podcast app. We both have Patreons, and uh, I don't know. Cheers. Take care of yourselves, everybody. This podcast was brought to you by the YouTube channel and website Moore's Law is Dead. Moore's Law is Dead and Broken Silicon are trademarks of their creator, Tom. That guy is me, and I am indeed the creator, editor, writer, and showrunner of Moore's Law is Dead podcasts, videos, articles, and other media. However, it's not just me. Moore's Law is Dead is a team with Broken Silicon co-hosted by my brother Dan, audio editing by Gerard Cortez, renders being done by the industrial designer Jean-Philippe Clermont, and special assistance is also provided by Carmen Cry and Kerry Nosugad as well. Find all of our information at www.moreslawisdead.com on the about slash support page in the event you do want to hire me for consulting work, hire Gerard for audio work, hire Jean-Philippe for industrial design work, or you're interested in working with Carbon Cry or Kerry No Sugata as well. You can also find our long-term sponsors on that page if you want to show them some love for putting food on our tables. Or you can also mail us some love. You can send letters or hardware donations to the following address. Moore's Law is Dead, P.O. Box 60632 in Nashville, Tennessee, zip code 37206. Although, to be honest, the best way to show Moore's Laws Dead some love is to support us on Patreon. Patrons are what makes Moore's Laws Dead content truly possible. Every month and really every day, depending on who you're talking about, me, Gerard, Dan, and John Philippe are working tirelessly to provide a steady stream of content that we could not keep doing unless we knew the work was possible without being reliant on sponsors dictating every little thing we put out. Don't get us wrong. We love our sponsors, but we love directly working for you, our fans, 
much more. If you have any extra money, even a couple free dollars a month, consider supporting us directly on Patreon. Those couple of monthly dollars will get you access to the exclusive podcast Die Shrink, voting on subjects of future podcast episodes, the ability to ask guests questions, and of course, access to the Moore's Laws Dead Discord full of like-minded people who I am sure would love to meet you. I am one of them. Additionally, higher tiers get access to early, ad-free episodes of Broken Silicon, the ability to ask questions in all Broken Silicon episodes and loose ends live streams ahead of the recording, and the entire back catalog of Moore's Law Z podcasts, in addition to having thanks in the credits of videos and podcasts depending on the tier with other perks available as well. And hey... If you cannot afford to support us directly every month, please do share Moore's Law is Dead videos and podcasts with friends and family and on social media and websites like Reddit. And give Broken Silicon a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or your preferred podcast app of choice. All of this does really help us so much. But like I said, this podcast would not be possible without it, the patrons directly providing predictable and reliable support every month. And so now it is time to give a personal thanks to the greatest of the fans. The following supporters are at the 10 gigahertz or higher supported levels. Brad Medlin, Drita Full, A.V., Anthony Greffa, Greg Patecki, Mohamed Kawari, Brett Jones, Aaron Close, Little Journey, Dan Rauner, Daniel High, Treadbird, Brian Riggleman, Dr. Foreman, Sam Miller, Deke, Josh Law, The Mechanical Philosopher, Terrence Harrod, SNES Chalmers, Tom Bailey, Greg T. Wanchuk, Andrew S., Frank Zielinski, Daniel D., MJB1, Eric Jackson, Justice Brennan, Joshua L. Herrera, Valcom Alev, The Boss Haas, Nicholas Buckner, Spantham G. Spantham, Jonathan, Lord Starstream, General Drips, Blake, Franco Frederick, Matthew Lazier, Jensen Wang, Nathan Mose, Aziris, Gregory S. Hecker, Dominique Cock, Jake Dude 23, Jake Martin, Cameron, VentiCZ, HardForeRoom.com, Original Ross, Slicky, Lance Bassler, David Cowden, Ricky Tan, Chris Frey Butler, ZZ Ziggy, Sarcastro, Stephen Hart, David Sebastian, Meat and Pork, Stu, Tim Robb, Luis Correa, Ian Clifford, Jesse Jeskowiak, Travis Gooden, Helen Mobley, Nanyan, Chris Rich, Deepest Learners, Mads, Zuzu Taylor, Stephen Coates, Michael McGee, Chuck Glidden, Sammy Malas, Greg, AWS Danny, Patrick Crow, Emil Chief, Brett Summers, Milton, Stephen Dick, Tommy, John, Brucha, Mark Mitchell, McDaffy, AC, James Anderson, Marshall Pierce, Mark Raidmaker, Dave Schultz, 3DS Boy 08, Albuma, Narithiel, Matthew Landavazo, Stefan, Coladic, Henry Zhang, Judson N, Keith Moore, The Grid, Michelle Pell, D31337, Antics, Joseph Kelly, Earth Taurus, Hexapuma, Chrysantine, Jim Ferriera, RB Racer, Keith Moore, Keita Abdul Kadar, Precision, DNA Tech, Radeon Technologies Group, Sean O'Shea, Royce Meyer, Ro Charles Russell, Reginald Ari, Slushbotik Autumn, Jackson Miller, JSMMH, Nitra Zink, Mean Dean Cal, Andre Jacques, Gaiman Since Reagan, Jeff Sedler, Jordan Simkovic, Loophole 35, Winsar, William Welpy, James I. Raider, Corey Leonard, Nalima, John Chin, Justin Bustle, Kelvin, Austin Haggerty, Roger Davies, Shay, William Leek, Corey Chappelle, Evan Dingle, C2, John Iverson, Michael Aaron, the Eternal Dreamers, Jansen Angima, Himsagun, Derek Lambie, and of course, thank you to Sahara for the music. 